Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with the man himself, Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how you doing tonight, my man? Doing good, dude. Fresh off of a nice holiday. Went to Vegas, fucking had some good football and stuff. I mean, we're just, I'm fucking excited, man. This is great. We're winding down the year and everything. Let's fucking do this, dude. I'm, I am excited, too. We are finally at the end of this long year um but a fun year for sure for the at least for the occasionalist i don't know about everything in our personal lives but certainly a fun year for the occasionalist and we're finally here at our 2022 year in review episode uh let's start off with a, a little lightning round question though before we get into everything chemo what pop culture moment of this year sums up the year for you Oh, this one is an easy one. It's definitely Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I think that this <laughs> incident could easily be a metaphor for 2022 as a whole. And the reason that I say this is because, you know, we've just been hit with a lot of things that just feel like fucking like slaps in the face in some way, shape or form. You know, like it all kind of starts off with like, you know, we're, we're sort of kind of like maybe getting back to a little bit of normalcy, trying to like put whatever we had of the pandemic behind us slap with Putin's war against Russia and everything like that throws our entire economy off and stuff. And we have to deal with all these like little struggles that we weren't like, weren't expecting i guess you know what i'm saying and things are now started to like calm down a little bit you know like but i mean inflation's still through the roof so we're us as a culture we are kind of getting smacked only to get rewarded in some way shape or form afterwards like will smith did with his oscar so some people might call that life but um, i do feel that since we have the ability to put this will smith uh, incident into some form of a metaphor for 2022. I believe it is that one. I I think you might be right. I think you might be right, and I, I definitely like the yeah. I definitely I like I like this idea of sort of these terrible. I like the idea of of these people who maybe are malicious still getting rewarded in some way, shape, or form, um, right? Despite doing malicious things, because that is sort of that does feel like the way of the world. Um, I mean, it, it the weird. The weird way in which billionaires get worshipped, um, and I'm and I'm always like, listen, like whatever. If you if, if anyone out there wants to like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, go ahead. I don't really fucking care. Just know that they've crushed a lot of people to make billions of dollars. You don't become a billionaire because you're a nice person. You no. just simply do not. You crush a lot of souls to become a billionaire and everything. And like, yeah, man, like it's you know we've had, I feel more difficult years to get through, especially like in recent times and everything with the pandemic, those years were harder, but this one just had a lot of fucking like slaps in the face, man. Like, mm -hmm. you know, all the, it's I'm almost like that, that meme where Momoa is coming up behind Henry Cavill and stuff. Like yep. that's, kind of, that's kind of like what it is. And, yep. uh, you know, the good thing is, is that, you know, as we got a slap, the end of the line and the bright light at the end of the tunnel with wrapping up 22, 2022 is on the horizon. And who knows what next year is going to bring? Hopefully a lot of optimistic, positive things. Yep. Yep. I'm with you there. Um, I'm going to so I'm going to go with something that happened today um, as of this recording. Uh, Brittany Griner uh, being released yes. back into U.S. custody. And I, I here's why I'm going with this one. Besides the fact that it's, I mean, it's not just recency bias and the fact that this is a massive, massive story, but also because it, it really does, this really helps shine a light or maybe crystallizes what public discourse is in the modern world. 
Um, and that's and and in so it's the Brittany Griner thing, but in the form of our current president Biden. Um, Biden can never do enough for anybody. It doesn't no. matter if you're left, right, or center. Biden can never do enough. The left just has this continual level of disappointment for some reason that America wasn't overnight turned into a socialist haven with all rights and all property guaranteed to every single person, as if Biden was a dictator. Because if the presidency worked like that, let me assure you, Trump would have already made it into a dictatorship and he would still be president. Um, of it's, it's just one of those things that's really jarring. But then you go to the right. The right hates him for not getting Griner back right away. They also hate him for giving up um, this particular prisoner for Brittany Griner. They also hate him for not getting the correct person back in their mind. Um, that it was right. it was Brittany it's Griner who's not American enough, um, and he left Paul Whelan behind. Um, it's it's also like never mind that like a president is saving an American from a Russian gulag. Um, apparently that's lost in the right. It, with the right, with the with the conservative right, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, damned if you think about doing it, damned if you don't think about doing it. It like doesn't fucking matter. They're always going to be pissed off at you. Um, there is no right answer other than to there is no right answer. Even if you don't do something, there's just no right answer. And that's public discourse now. Everyone hates you for something different. Everyone hates you for the thing that you've done, something else that you haven't done, something you've thought about doing. That's all it is, and that's why. Like while I'm still on Twitter. My engagement is now completely reduced to just me yelling at the Browns. That is it. I have no interest in being on Twitter because that's sort of the crystallization of this conversation. Um, I just don't want to be a part of it anymore because it doesn't go anywhere. It's not serving any these this this sort of backbiting discourse doesn't serve any purpose other than to fire up either the left or the right. I don't want any part of it. No, dude, I 100% hear what you are saying on this. This, particularly with Biden, this dude can't make anybody happy, like at all. Like it just, it, it just doesn't seem like this guy could ever get a win. And anytime that he gets a win on paper, there's always like a line out the door of left and right to completely complain about it. And I like what you mentioned about this, uh, you know, kind of socialist like paradise and stuff like that. You're right. It's like, you know, God, what are we, when is he going to do this for us? And it's like, there's a lot of steps that need to be done before he could do whatever it is you want to do. And just to let you know, um, there's a majority now in Congress who doesn't want what you want. And there's probably like a good amount of people in the world who just don't want you what you want in general. So I know that there are people who do want that. But, uh, you know, th these things are a process and stuff like that. And these people like kind of like they they crave that like, you know, fast action that only a dictator can perform. Well, just wait till the other side is in power. Like, do you want a dictator then? Like, <laughs> exactly. I pretty much positive that you, you don't. And I do like particularly what you've said about Twitter and stuff, because my engagement in both Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have decreased monumentally over the course of the, the last year or so. And for me, like it's a, for, it's a little bit s simpler, but I'm, I'm just kind of like, what is the fucking point anymore? You know? Cause I'm, mm -hmm. I just don't see a point and like whatever great fucking tweet that I could possibly put out there, like it's probably somebody has already done it. Whatever take I could possibly have on a subject, somebody else has that take tenfold, you know? So I, I'm just kind of a, like, what's the point of it anymore? And now that Elon Musk has taken it over, like I, I've been trying to 
like, you know, remove certain Twitter going on sessions throughout the course of my day. Like I'm making the steps to be even less active on it and everything. Cause I've just, I'm just kind of over it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh that's, that's really the best way to put it. I am very over it too. Um, yeah, my, my, my Twitter interaction is now reduced to either you fucking losers or you fucking winners, uh, whatever the Browns lose or win. I, I, I guess I just, I just, despite the fact that I'm fairly present online, I also really value unplugging from it. And I just, I don't know why I want to have dumb conversations with people that will solve nothing. I, I don't know why I want to plug myself into those if I don't have to. So I don't, so I don't, that's it. No, and that's a good fucking move, dude. Like, you're not going to get anything out of those conversations. Like, is somebody going to, like, teach you something? Like, are you going to have this this moment of, like, life awakening via a conversation on Twitter? Of course not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And, like, when it comes down to these, like, online discussions, like, these are, like, p- people live for this shit, dude. Like, they love going on and posting stuff, and they could reference links so quickly, and they just have this, like, master skill when it comes to having conversations online. And, like, there's nothing to, like, gain from that at all. You know what I'm saying? And, like, the minute that, like, in particularly on, on Facebook and stuff, the minute you put your opinion out there on anything, here come the, the fucking cavalry to uh, to try to, like, shoot you down and engage in a debate, and it's what the, like, what's the point? And then it's just even become, what's the hell's the point of me even putting my opinion out there online anyway, you you know? And, um, like there's just no fucking point to it anymore. It's not like, it's not like what we signed up for originally. And like the, you know, you've been on Facebook for I think a couple years longer than I have. I joined in 2009. And so like, we've had this in our lives now for like over a decade plus. And, it, this is it's just not like what it used to be anymore and like it's it's very interesting to see like how like you know um our own social media experiences like have just kind of evolved from like when we were younger you yeah. know before it was cool to have all these you know your all these people like you went to high school with like you could have them like on this web page you could get a hold of people you were like finding out what was in their lives after like not seeing a lot of these people for a long time and then like it just evolved into this like fucking, you know, forum of opinions and everything where it's like, Hey, somebody I haven't spoken to in 20 years now has a hot take on whatever I've just talked about. And it's like, yeah, I don't really like that. I just like prefer to like, just like photos, see what's going on in people's lives. So if I ever do run into them in person, I don't really have to ask them, Hey, what's going on, man? Like, at least I have somewhat of a starting point. Like, oh, I saw you did this. How is this? You're living here now. I can have conversations with some specificity with people I haven't seen for a long time, which prevent those conversations. It's like, oh, so what have you been up to? Oh, nothing much, man. So in 20 fucking years, you haven't done anything? (laughs) (laughs) Well, some people haven't. Right. That's true. Yes. (laughs) But, um, you know, but like, that's kind of like what I signed up for originally. And now it's like, it's just not like that. And they're even people like I see who post 10 plus times a day on Facebook. And I'm like on Facebook, like you're posting 10 posts a day on Facebook. What the hell? You never know. One of them might go viral. Um, it, right. it won't. It won't. Um, yeah, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm just sort of done with the whole thing. Um, wanna, here's a quick Elon Musk aside um, that I, I, we should talk about real quickly here. Um, so in 2021, I, I can't remember if it was the head 
of the World Food Program, or if it was like another one of those agencies, made like a made like a, a a call to all billionaires that like we were because of the pandemic and because of unusual drought conditions in like Africa and parts of Asia, like we were heading not heading we are in one of the like worst like food crises in human history, like in mm-hmm. recent I should say in recent human history, and. Um, this, this, whoever this guy was, I, I, I should, I should probably shouldn't have looked this article up, but while I was sitting here thinking about it, but, um, this guy basically called for all billionaires to essentially donate what would have been like $60 billion to, um, and like, if this is, this wasn't to cure world hunger, this was to stave off what is happening now in, in a lot of places. Um, basically it would just, it would have been a bandaid basically, yeah. but it would, but a needed bandaid to get to get a lot of people through to hopefully like another rainy season in, in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, hopefully more, you know, you know, better crop yields in Asia. Um, like that, that was the hope basically just to get people through the next couple of years. And Elon Musk actually asked this guy directly for, well, can you show me, can you show me the work? You know, essentially, okay. I understand what you're, what you're, what you're asking for. Show me the work. Give me the, the business proposal, if you will. So this guy sent over, you know, sent over documents, an academic study, blah, 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 laid out exactly where money was going to be spent. Oddly enough, he never heard back from Elon Musk. A year later, he's spending $46 million, $46 billion on Twitter. Right. That's why you shouldn't like billionaires, because when they do have the opportunity to help, they don't. Oh, yeah. He could, what these people could do with a fraction of like, when I say a fraction, I mean, they wouldn't even miss this money. It's it's insane. Like, and they could do so much for the fucking world. Like my opinion on this subject changed a couple of years ago when like, um, when like uh, Notre Dame burned down the, the cathedral and stuff like that. And overnight, like the GDP of like four small countries put together was somehow manifested in the form of donations to like save this church and stuff. Yeah. These people, this like a, like one single hair of Elon Musk's like budget head of hair will cure and solve so goddamn much. And he will still wake up and be one of the richest people in America and like, or in the world. And they, they just don't do any of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they just have no interest in doing anything of it. And what they choose to like spend their money on like Twitter is it's just a colossal fucking waste. And at the way that he's going, who the hell knows if I'm sure Twitter will always going, is going to be around. I don't want to like be one of those. Oh, it's all ending kind of things. But like this company is not going to be what it was over the course of the last 10 years. Like it's just not. And uh, yeah, so that's a good use of $44 billion right there. Yep. Yep. There is um, a guy died recently, Pablo Eisenberg, who's like, um, Worked in the philanthropy space, but was like really noted for um, criticizing people who gave to charity because he would like explain like why great you're giving to charity, but you're giving to like to restore an opera house as opposed to restoring like a needed grocery store in a blighted neighborhood. Like right. you know, like great you gave money. It's not that like the money isn't appreciated, but like. Is that the best use of a million dollars, or is the other use the best use of a million dollars? And this guy would like literally like would chastise people in public for donating to the wrong things. 
<laughs> and there should be more fucking people like that because he makes a really, really good point. Like I know that, and believe me, I know that the arts are struggling and stuff like that, but if it comes down to saving like one opera house in the city that has several opera houses and there's bread lines, like you got to like address the bread lines, like addressing the bread lines will help people have money so they can go to the opera house. Like it's this whole, like it's this whole like circular type thing and everything. And they just pick the wrong things to, um, to donate their money to. Exactly. All right, let's get to it. Um, we're done talking about philanthropists. Um, let's get to the occasionalists in review. Um, so this is the portion we're going to talk about everything that we did this past year. And obviously this year we uh, we formatted the show differently than, than in years past. We had a, uh, a whole setup where like we essentially themed each month. And we already had some themed months, but we decided to just do the whole year like it. Um, so what are your general feelings on the way that we approach this year, the way that we structure everything? different and it worked out for the best. Like there are definitely some pros and cons, which we'll get into in the next question. But as far as a general statement goes, adding some level of organization and structure, I think turned out to have a really solid payoff. I absolutely, um, I, I, I put it as like, we finally had like a complete framework from beginning to end. Like, you know, you knew going into, um, you know, you knew going into March that we're all month long, we're going to do a bunch of mini sods. So, you know, the subjects that you have to pick or you want to talk about have to be shorter in length. Like we, we can't dive into, we can't do a deep dive of like a, of, of like a, you know, the Lord of the Rings series or something in a mini-sode. Like what are we going to devote? Three minutes to like every, every book, every movie, you know what I mean? Like it's just an impossibility. So, you know, having that framework from which to build upon really gave us some like interesting structure, but also like kind of by necessity gave us some interesting gave us some interesting options to be creative to still work within that framework. Definitely. Yes, you bet. The, the, the framework gave a lot of opportunity to do more creative stuff that I don't think that we would have had the opportunity to do. I, exactly. I really think, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point in time, just as an example, I don't think that we would have done a sports call-in show had we not done, had we not done it in uh, the March of Minisodes. Oh, no, definitely not. Like, because that was a cool, creative way to do a simple, like, sports episode after going multiple months of not having any sports episodes. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, So, so let's get to it. A pro and a con for how we, uh, we set up this year. Okay, so the pro, we've kind of dabbled in this with our previous answers. I loved the the structure of everything. Like it gave a direction for us to go with each month. Um, Thus having to, like, or preventing like any kind of not that we would do this, but just like, hey, like it's it's January. Let's do something that is just completely out there and wacko. You know what I'm saying? Like or having to come up with ideas that may be like a little bit like out of place, I guess, you know, like it's just like us first to drop everything and talk about Lord of the Rings might be a little bit out of character for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So um having the the framework and everything like that made it so there was some structure and direction and everything. The the con which I feel we we did get a little lucky in terms of this year. I know that there was a lot of different events that took place over the course of the year, but like the con would be that um you know in case something like really crazy just like happened in the world, yeah. like, it may not have actually fit into the format. But we did we did sort of get lucky and like I, I we're lucky in the sense that 
some of the events that took place in the, the world, I don't necessarily know how we would have done a podcast on, like the war in Ukraine. Like we did one about the coronavirus like a couple years ago. Like, I mean, how could we not? But like, I just I don't necessarily know how some of the world events this year would have played into a podcast episode. And I guess like in terms of podcast topics for us, we, we kind of got lucky in the sense that like any of these world mm-hmm. events weren't necessarily things that are is appropriate for this forum. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. A- absolutely. Especially like if we were like a daily podcast or even like a, a consistent weekly podcast, then we'd probably want to be more topical even with, you know, even with um, a structured form, even if, even if we had the exact same format, we would probably mm-hmm. still want to be a little bit more current if we're going to be right. doing an episode every single week, right? Like you, like you, yeah. you couldn't talk, like if we did an episode every single day, we couldn't talk about like 80s movies every single day. Like that's just an impossibility. Uh, we'd have to right. talk about something modern, but, or something happening currently. But the way, the way that we do it, it does kind of, it, it, we do kind of have a lot, not, not even wiggle room. We have like a lot more than wiggle room as far as our ability to um, to um, worry about that kind of stuff simply because of the way they do the show. Um, but I will, I'm going to piggyback off that because the one con of this is our ability to pivot real quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The I think the closest we, I think we we almost Im- immediately got burned speaking of the, the sports call-in show when uh, Smoke and the Big Freeze uh, first debuted. Um, I, uh, someone named, uh, someone named Barrett Marfield called in, um, asking about a potential contract extension and trade. And literally by the time we had finished recording that episode, like the next day, um, Baker Mayfield was, uh, was traded. So, or like, or, um, excuse me, Deshaun Watson was traded for, and basically the writing was on the wall. So like within 24 hours the, the question that our, our esteemed caller Barrett Marfield asked, um, was already, it was already, you know, behind, it was, it was already stale. It was already old and it, it already like didn't fit. So like, certainly we had our, we had our ability to pivot that quickly was kind of taken away from us. Uh, but you're right. Like the way a lot of the bigger events unfolded, it didn't really matter that we couldn't talk about them right away. Yeah. It just kind of like, I think we got lucky in that sense. Like I, I just, out of all the things that took place this year, big world event wise, there just wasn't really any that were like podcast worthy for us. A lot of like yeah. more event event centric stuff happened in sports and everything like that. And like, yeah, this you're right. The, the Deshaun Watson thing happened, and now fucking Baker is in is in my backyard playing a football game right now. I cannot escape that man. I know, I know, it's nuts. Uh, and then okay, so my my pro here though is it was it was actually really nice having multiple episodes to talk about one thing. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously we did some variances, you know, whatever, like when we did the 80s episode, we talked about various things uh, of the 1980s, but still we were honed in on like that one sort of that, you know, one time period of pop culture. Um, and I think it, what it, where it really kind of showed out and was really great was in our book club month. And even though we did a short book with This Is How You Lose the Time War, I don't think that we could have properly in one two hour episode encapsulated everything that we wanted to talk about and it made much more sense to do two separate episodes on it yeah for as long as some of these episodes are everybody there are times where we don't get everything out there and um 
the book club month is a really great example. And I listened to a lot of podcasts about that particular book. Um, this is how you lose the time war in leading up to that episode. And like a lot of these ones just like felt incomplete. Like, you know, you'd be looking at something like an hour or half an hour, 45 minutes time. And like, I, I, you just kind of like skim the surface. There's not even really any kind of like deep dive is nowhere near as deep as what we did during that particular time. And since we had multiple episodes, we got to like read the book, talk about it, then have another episode. And during that time in between, I got to like re go over the book and yeah. the book in many ways, as most books do. And as a lot of forms of entertainment do, they kind of take on a new life with like repeated viewings, readings, listenings, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And so like, while I had just read, got done reading the book, you know, a few days before the first episode in that week time period between the episodes, it was almost like I had a like, you know, newer experiences coming from this book that I didn't get the first time around, which thus paved the way for us to have that second episode and everything. Yeah, exactly. And and like you said, like the repeat, the, you know, the idea of like, especially books, um, you know, repeated readings, you, you pick up on different things because um, you just don't like you don't remember, at least for me, I don't remember books the same way I remember movies. Um, or even TV shows, simply because right. like it's you're talking like a you know a two hour chunk of time versus multiple you know periods of reading like there's just stuff that gets lost. Um, so like that repeated that repeated reading definitely brings stuff out that's different. But also like after having talked about it out loud with you, hearing your ideas on things and how you interpreted things definitely changed how I saw the book. When I, no, I didn't do a full reread of the book. It was just a it was I was looking for particular things particular um you know sequences and scenes if you will and i was just like oh that that actually does read this way now that i really think about it like it it definitely was sort of a not a completely different reading but just like definitely a few degrees different uh that second time around oh yeah definitely and i honestly think that the second time around was a lot was kind of more fulfilling in the sense than the first time around like granted like you knew what happened but there were certain things that became more clear and like like you i am one of these people that I remember books and movies like two completely different ways. And that's because with books, you have so much to absorb. Like the way that something is described in two sentences in the middle of chapter three, um, like you're going to like forget about that. I'm sorry. Like you will, unless it is the best fucking description in the world that you've ever read. Those types of things are going to like kind of get they're going to kind of get lost in like all of the other information that you're trying to absorb. And then like, when you go back to do a little bit of rereading that same block of two sentences can take on an entirely different meaning and everything. Like there's mm-hmm. this, there's a short story by Hemingway with like these people and like they're around like a dilapidated church. And like, when you read the story the first time, you know, it's like, okay, it's just people, this like dilapidated church and all that. But then upon reading it on the second time, the dilapidated church is more of a metaphor for what is going on in the course of the story. So like these things have a tendency of taking on whole new meetings and more clearer meetings throughout multiple reads. And as you get further involved with like whatever you're experiencing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. Correct. So how about an episode from each of us? Like since we both had um, we both had control over what? Five episodes each, essentially. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bet. Um, so how about an episode from each of us that you would if if you were in charge of, you would have changed that month? And maybe just like a little bit of detail like how you would have changed it. 
All right, dude. So I got really hard on this 80s thing. Like after we did the first episode, <laughs> like the rest of the, the time period could have easily been like stuff from the 80s. And like one thing that I was kind of thinking about would be like some way to work in sports and the 80s kind of like put these two together. Yeah. Now, I, I don't necessarily know if we would be able to do like a, a call in show like for this like. I, I just I don't necessarily know how it would work. I'm not totally leaving it out there. No, but it'd be really like, that idea is very funny, like inherently very funny. Yeah. So like what I, what I would do for this, like if there was some way to mix conversations about modern sports with comparisons to either sports in general from the 80s or 1980s sports movies. I think there is something there. Mm -hmm. Like if we were to like, let's just say, for example, like, oh, so-and-so is going through situation A and then situation A is very similar to like what the football players went through in this 80s high school movie where the football team is like, you know, like it's, it's kind of like a more to the part of the story than just like, you know, going to school yeah. and trying to find maybe like certain parallels between whatever's going on in the current sports world in comparison to this eighties movie or this eighties sports situation and kind of like doing like a focused, like compare and contrast between the modern day sports situation in the eighties. And it could easily be something like, okay, like what do you think about this rule change? What was it like in the eighties? Give some examples or like what I was talking about with like the uh, modern day sports comparisons into maybe finding some kind of relation through eighties sports movies. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, there was, there was definitely um, there. I, I have some changes we'll get to in, in a little bit um, from the from the nineteen eighties episode. Not there weren't major, but just stuff that I kind of forgot about. And there's man, like that that would just be generally interesting to have like to the next you know in a sports episode cover. Go back in some capacity cover seventies and eighties and nineties athletes and, and sports like. The, how mm -hmm. how drastically sports has changed since even since we were kids. But imagine like imagine going back to 1970 and I, I don't know I don't know who the top home run hitter in 1975 was. Probably look that up. But um, imagine telling him that like yeah the top home run hitter this year he's making 40 million dollars per season. Right. I know. Meanwhile, you're probably also working a second job because baseball doesn't pay all the bills. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the difference in the pay alone is astronomical. And you could, there are millions of examples where you can find um, stud ass athletes from that time, what they were paying, what they'd be making now, where they would fit in a roster now, if they could even play in the league now, stuff like that. There's a lot of different um, avenues that you could go with that kind of topic. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael Jack Schmidt, Mike Schmidt uh, hit 38 home runs in 1975 uh, for the night for the Philadelphia Phillies then. So um, but yeah, like it, it, like just things like that. I mean, and not only that, like, could you imagine, like, I would, I would love to, I would love to see like the sort of swap, like in all the advancements that we've made in sports, sports medicine, sports training, the equipment, and just like how foreign, even again, like even just like 30 years ago, how foreign some of the equipment, like remember when we played football, did your helmet actually fit? Because mine didn't. Oh God, no, we had to get <laughs> pumped up and everything. And, or even just like 
the fucking face masks alone, like when we were kids, like how much fucking room was on that in that goddamn face mask yep. of us and the, the three bars. So you could even like if you were throwing a punch and you landed it absolutely perfectly would fit through the face. Mask. Oh, straight like, through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like even like the, the fucking shoulder pads and like um the, you know, the the thigh and knee pads, those huge clunky pads. Now they're like, they're like little slivers that go in there yep. and stuff like that, like stronger little things. I mean, when it comes to the equipment alone, like these kids and people that are playing today are like playing in like Rolls Royces of football equipment compared to what we <laughs> have. Fucking spacesuits. <laughs> Fucking spacesuits comparatively. It, it's nuts. Yeah, I, I like that one. That, that's good. That's good. Um, how about... Um... How about one that uh, from your episodes that you would have changed? Oh, I would have gone back and did the first month all over again. <laughs> like there would have been a whole different, like the uh, the new beginnings and all the stuff, the challenges. I would have completely like redone my section of the challenges to be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I um, I'm, I'll, I'll start there because I would have I would have started with for yours at least. I would have had um, January unknown have some more like measurable goals. Uh, for us yeah. either either what I kind of like what I was envisioning would have been like a goal for like that week a goal for that month mm-hmm. and then like some yearly goal that we'd have to yeah. hit by now basically so like we're there would be some like you know charts and progress on, on in some way shape or form on like whatever whatever the agreed upon goal was that that's what we would do for you know again that day that week month and then or day month and then year something like that definitely Yes, 100%. There could have been something that I like what you're saying here about the, charting it through the entire year. There could definitely have been something like that in January and known all the way. Yeah. Uh, and it could have been, could have been something real easy, like, um, uh, you know, something like uh, every day do 10 push-ups or whatever. Or did it mm-hmm. need to be that? Like every day, watch a movie. Something like that. Right. Like, could you could yeah. you possibly, yeah. If, you know, if you, and it's not like you have to do it. Like if you don't do it, you like have to stop. Just make note that like, hey, I was... I was on vacation for a week, so like I couldn't sit and watch a movie because I, you know, I, I missed, you know, I missed this week or whatever. Um, would it would have been interesting to have that sort of like um, to actually put some like metrics in some of the stuff that we do? Oh yeah, totally. David P. Sampson it up and watch a movie or a show every day. Yep, like, yep. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm with you there on January unknown, and also like uh, best of July, um, simply because I actually, I mean, I I like what we ended up doing with it. It was totally fine. Um, since it was a total month off, but I, I kind of, upon like hindsight, I wish we would have, we would, we would have prepped better and figured out, um, figured out like days that we could have put aside to in fact do some like performance type stuff. Um, yeah. like one thing I was like, one thing that like kind of hit me, it was like, God, I, I can't believe that I've in some capacity have been podcasting for like quite a while and I've never done some like fake fictional podcasting, like, like a war of mm-hmm. the worlds type thing. And had we actually prepped for it, we could have done not specifically War of the Worlds, but just thinking of like a, a radio play or something like that. We could have like actually done something like that ahead of time and just like released it in July. That would have been definitely like a total, um, not out of left field, but definitely something very different for us. That would have been kind of interesting on our month off. Oh, yeah, 100 percent, dude. Like the idea of doing something fictionalized, I think, is great. And like a lot of there's a lot of fictionalized podcasts out there that are getting turned into TV shows and movies. So, so like that is something that is a, a hot trend in um, the world of podcasts. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, July best of July. Uh, I, I like it. I, I liked what we did with it anyway. It was especially like kind of revisiting it before we went into before we like introduced the episode. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, certainly, certainly I, I feel like we kind of. I feel like we kind of left something on the table with that month. That's all. 
Yeah, I understand what you're saying for sure. And I remember you having the original idea and all that, but you're right. That would have taken a lot of preparation. I mean, to, to write the goddamn thing alone, you're looking at a minimum of like 30 something, 40 something pages and yeah. all the different sound effects. I mean, like for what would have gone into that? Like um, you're looking at a lot of effort in terms of the writing and then even some of the production value. Like, I, I don't even know if the time was there. Oh, like, it, to it, just it, really, that in there. it really wasn't like it became very apparent once we got to like March or no, once we got to April, it became very apparent with like a lot of the stuff that I had to do uh, for work and just some other shit going on. I was just like, I have zero idea when I can put together a potential radio play <laughs> for us to do like. I just do not have the time for it. And like just since you mentioned like the production stuff, like um, for our wrestling episode that we just did, um, I put together some like, you know, Chum and I put together some like wrestling pops for us. That is not like a quick, I mean, it's not like it's painstaking, but like those two clips, which total like three minutes took, I don't know, 45 minutes of like prep time to put together. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like it, it right. like so. Multiply that over like entire episodes. It would oh, be yeah. a lot of fucking work. Doors knocking, phones ringing, exploding sounds, all that stuff perfectly placed. Like yeah, you're looking at a lot of fucking time. Yeah, um, you know, it, again, possibly in the future, which we'll we will talk about here at some point. But um, you know, we'll see. Uh, so your favorite theme month outside of the recurring ones, like Movie Dude. May and Fright Fest, are are staples for a reason because we like they're amongst our favorites so what were your what were your favorite theme months this year i loved it the march of minisodes i thought that was great like there's a definitely a place out there for like the the shorter podcasts and stuff like that and i thought for us to go in with our own topics and knock out you know a few episodes in a recording session i thought that that worked out really nicely and it was a mm -hmm. very like it was still within the theme but it gave us the opportunity to talk about topical stuff and everything to you know kind of bring i guess like the podcast up to the present with the with the current times and everything and like it just ended up working and working a lot better than I had originally anticipated. It was really great. Like I, I actually, that that was, I had a feeling you were going to pick that. So I didn't um, pick it, but that would, that's right up there. That's right up there for me so much. So that it feels like that would be the one to sort of like, if we were to keep one permanently, like as a permanent feature, that would be mm -hmm. the one to keep. Yeah. One easily dude, easily. And like some of these shorter podcasts, like, you know, whatever they're covering, they do it in a short amount of time. It's just a nice quick zip in and out kind of deal. Get what you need and then get on your way and everything. And like there's like there are podcasts that I listen to now that are like the, that I listen to specifically because they are shorter. I can maybe fit them into what I'm doing throughout the course of the day. Yeah. And it's, it's something that really works. I, I do think that there's something to be said about podcasts that are only 10 minutes long. I, I think you probably need a little bit more than that. And God only knows that there are a lot of 10 minute long episodes of podcasts out there in the world, but to, um, to have something that like what we did, where we're in like the 20 to 30 minute mark, like that's like the perfect state of harmony. And that worked out well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. Um, since I knew you were going to pick that, I, I went ahead and picked, um, for my favorite beyond borders. Uh, mm -hmm. we did all our foreign entertainment in August. That was a lot of fun, uh, especially to dip into, especially to dip into the foreign music was a fucking blast like that's i i think i think even more so than the tv and the movies which i, I did love dipping into the the foreign music was a lot of fun and kind of like when you kind of realize um you kind of realize like how much 
foreign music that, that has shaped our lives, it is a lot more than you like you realize at first glance. How how many of these bands and and performers um, from be they from Canada or Mexico or Japan or Australia or wherever, like how many of them have like a piece of our uh, how many of them have taken up a piece of our pop culture consciousness? It's a lot. There's I mean it, it really is at least for me after doing this episode. I was thinking about it. I mean, it's a, it's a solid, solid, uh, probably very close to 50-50 mix of like foreign musicians and American musicians that I listen to. Maybe mm-hmm. it, it actually might it actually might tip in favor, in fact, just slightly of foreign musicians. Yeah, I can believe that, dude. Definitely. I mean, I know for a fact I listen to like a lot like Canada and stuff like that, you know. So, but the good news about that episode is it just like opened my eyes to a whole lot of really interesting and cool creative projects that are out there, and this idea of baby metal and kawi core i just fucking cannot get that out of my mind like i still think about that all the i time. still jam baby metal every now and then fuck yeah dude hell yeah and like there are um you know there are a lot of acts that come through los angeles and stuff like that that are from other countries just being that we are one of the largest markets in america and every time i look at like um a group of like singers that are from asia and stuff like and if they're all female i'm just like i wonder if that is a uh a, like a metal band of some way shape or form you know because like they have there are so many different groups that come here and like a lot of this stuff that we looked at particularly with baby metal that it looks that is the farthest looking thing from a metal band ever so now i see all these people and i'm just like i wonder if that's metal and yeah, most yeah. of the time it's most of the time is k-pop or whatever but um the fact right, that it's right. got me asking that question Right, exactly. Did his job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was, you know, one thing that, and one thing that definitely surprised me when we did, um, especially when we did the TV shows. Um, I was, uh, you know, specifically thinking about Citizen, the Servant of the People, excuse me. But um, going back through like our TV show experiences and stuff, I was actually kind of surprised at how, at how many things, especially comedy wise, how many things that we think is funny, kind of universally like culture to culture it's a lot we have a lot more we have a lot more in common comedy wise than i think you would assume at um you know at first glance oh dude after watching servant of the people there are situations on that show that would play like butter over here in america like the idea of um when he first gets to like the you know the president's mansion and he's meeting all the staff and then he meets his like lookalikes and yes. all the the lookalikes of all the different political figures that same that same setup that same like situation even with the same jokes would play so good yep. over here and everything like that you could with minimal difference it would translate perfectly yep yep absolutely so what was the the most challenging theme for you Okay, so the most challenging theme was I was definitely factual February. Like it's um, mm-hmm. the last faction week, heroes. I love uh, those, yeah. that was fun though. I like that month. That was fun. Yeah, you fucking bet. Like I love doing all that. It was by far and away the most challenging because it was so hard to like kind of pick where to go in certain situations. Like exp- the movie thing was was pretty easy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to just like Google like you know, uh, outstanding action movie stuff or whatever. Like, yeah, 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 you have a whole plethora of stuff to work with. But when it came to like us doing the more of the, the realist, the realistic stuff, like the real world stuff in the first episode, that was a little difficult. Cause I was trying, like, I didn't want it to become this whole like political thing, you know, but at the same time, we have like so much out there in disinformation and politics. Like it was hard to, 
kind of craft an episode that just didn't become one giant like okay the right is lying because of this you know sure not, yeah not these things should definitely be pointed out all the way but you don't want to do that the whole time you know what i'm saying and like when it comes down to like political discussions in general is how you and i were talking about being over social media i'm kind of over those two there's no changing anybody's minds anymore. I, I don't even really think that there's like with the exception of the show left, right and center, there's really not much of a civilized way to handle these conversations anymore. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily know like what us having a discussion about politics, um, especially breaking down disinformation is going to do for the, the betterment of the world, because like there are people out mm-hmm. there that, you know, are doing this online. There's so many goddamn different fact checkers and people like still fucking believe it, you know? Yep. 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 It's, uh, you, you know, I, I think we, I think we did a good job of threading the needle of like basically just not dumping completely on the right. Um, but you know, like if the shoe fits, wear it. Like there's a, (laughs) Like, there is definitely left-wing misinformation, no doubt about it. But they are causing the vast majority of it. So there's no way to not talk about Fox News' influence. There's no way to not talk about um, what's the... Uh, who's getting Newsmax. There's no way to to not talk about, like, those platforms that are readily, happily spreading misinformation. There's no way to not talk about QAnon and, and like, what they're doing. Like, are there left-wing equivalents? Yes, of course there are. They are not as well-funded and malicious as those are. Right, exactly. That is exactly right. And while I do feel that it is important to call out the QAnon stuff, to have this discussion, to shoot them down and all that, it's just, like... I, there's only like so much of it that we could possibly do, you yeah. know? And like, and it's not that like, I don't like get sick of it. Like if you and I are just like talking about it, like I could bash the Q and I people all fucking day and night. But like the minute that that recording switch gets turned on, it, it feels like I can only do it for a certain amount of time. And even if we're talking about like for the audience's sake, for value of the listener, <laughs> I, I, Number one, like, I think that eventually you're going to get, like, turned off from that. Or you're going to think that the Occasionalist podcast is, like, this is all we talk about, which is not the case. So you're you're kind of leading into, like, a, you're going down, like, a road of disappointment, like, no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Either you're going to be bored from all the talk or you're just going to be so goddamn excited that we did it. And then the next episode, it's like, oh, factual February or in the March of Minnesota's sports episode. And you're like, what the fuck is these guys doing? Like <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were bashing Q and everything. So like, while it is definitely a place of ours in the world to call out and like bash like Q and on and stuff. Um, I don't necessarily think that like, it's our job to like talk about it all the time or to have a super extended conversation about it all the time. It's just me anyway. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I think you're right, and we're, we'll we'll leave that up to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. They do a they do a very good job of that of taking yeah, up that mantle. That is by far and away. If you want the QAnon stuff, go there because not only is it all they talk about, but those guys do a phenomenal job. Yep. like it, it's well researched. I mean they they've got it going on. Yep. 
Also, Factual February has one of my favorite, two of my favorite covers that we design that I designed for this. Uh, the one with the um, the the men in suits with like their heads yep. are all uh, screens, and then yep. the the from the previous episode is the kind of the um, Expendables inspired one with the death card, the bullet bandoliers, and all the blades. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, you bet. Those were uh, pretty much all of these covers are fire. Those ones were fucking fire. Those are two of my favorite by far. Um, okay. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, I think, I think the challenges in, inherently of doing stuff of kind of, of kind of being fact checkers is inherently difficult, right? Like it's just, yeah. you're, you're correct. I, I'm with you there. I kind of just for this, I just kind of circle back to July since we could just never nail down ex- an exact thing to do. And we kind of strayed from the original concept. Obviously we landed on something fun. It just feels like it feels like that month is a missed opportunity to have done something uh, else besides what we did, which is fine. Like, again, I have no problem with it. Just, you know, that, that was just mm-hmm. one that, uh, that it just like, I, I am still thinking about like, God, we could have done something funny with this one. Yeah. I understand what you mean, dude. You, but it was good to get that break in there. And for, you know, putting something together at the last minute, I actually thought it was cool to go back and listen to uh, some of the stuff that we had done before. And then to have a conversation, especially where I was going all in on 2020 and just had that whole thing blew up in my face. God, that was very funny that we both were just like, we're all in on 2020 and we were both like, my goodness, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot. I mean, are, are, is this the greatest movie and movie star of all time? Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Believe me, we're going to get into some of that stuff a little bit later. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. One way, one way that we could that, that could have been spiced up, it would have been funny, is if we just sort of did clips, like sound bites for the entire episode, and we just worked in some like fake ones. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. Like, yeah. Like, just pretend like it's 2018 again, and let's just work in a fake sound clip. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh so what about the, the theme you think has the most potential going forward? Something that, that might stick, basically. Okay, so like atop, on top of the mini-sos, which I do think would stick in some way, shape, or form just on a format alone, I do love, like this idea of like the appreciation April. In some way, shape, or form, you could come up with something every single month that you like appreciate and can talk about in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And this past time around, it was music. It could be something else. It could be like even a specific subgenre of something like there's always something to get out of a more like positive conversation. You could just, you go so many different ways with it because in its core, you're appreciating it and everything. I mean, you could do like somebody's filmography, somebody's discography, somebody's bibliography. You could do a single album an entire month. Yeah, exactly. You could do one of those two. There's so much to get out of that. Because of just of the idea of showing appreciation and you're covering a topic that you enjoy. And when, you could, when you're basically um, themed on doing something that you enjoy or talking about something that you enjoy, you could get so much out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, so, yes, Appreciation April, that's, that's a good one. Um, I already mentioned March of Minisodes. Um, and I, I think the book club has potential, too. To, to be something that could be consistent. And I say that because obviously, um, you know, we picked a, we picked a shorter, but we picked a novella this time around, but it could easily be a comic next time. It yeah. could, which I would, I would really love to do. Like I'm, it's one of those things I kind of, I kind of want to get into um, less so like, you know, doing the Marvel stuff and more so doing the, uh, what was the, the one that you, that you really intrigued me with? Uh, we only find them when they're dead. 
Yes, you yeah. bet. That one really intrigued me. There was, uh, I think I mentioned that in that same, when we were talking about that in that same episode, um, the Ministry of Space really, like, I kind of want to get into that sort of, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, graphic novel and comic book kind of realm, personally, as opposed to kind of getting into, they're already in the movies, I don't need to, like, read about them in, in, <laughs> in, in, you know, in page form either, so, like, I kind of want to get into different stuff. Um, so it could be something like that, or we even could do a, let's, you know, let's do what we, let we how we cheated on it in high school or middle school, watch the movie and then try to do a book report on it. Um, we could, you know, take a Stephen King adaptation and compare it to a book, whatever, something like that. There's a lot of yeah. space there to do something. Oh, it, definitely, dude. Yeah, the, the comic book stuff, you're right. Going into the more indie comics, that's the best way to go. The Marvel stuff, like in the DC stuff, it's, dude, it's been around forever God only knows how many fucking opinions have been shared mm-hmm. about this and, and they're in the movies too, you know? Yep. So like there's just, I just, I don't know. It's, it kind of seems like a lot of people have been there in terms of Marvel and DC, but if you're talking about, we only find them when we're dead, sex criminals, saga, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. These lesser known graphic novels um, are way, way more edgy and, um, Thus, I feel ripe for a lot more discussion. Yeah, or even even stuff that is very popular and well known. Like I would love to do a deep dive into like Alan Moore stuff. Um, mm-hmm. To I mean, just simply because you're, I, I don't know if I've ever seen someone who hates adaptations of his own work so much, and who also <laughs> just hates his own work so much. Um, but you know, I guess that's sort of there's a lot of geniuses that are just kind of bizarre like that. Um, I mean, he really hates his, a lot of his own work, which is strange, but like, you know, his, his work spawned one of my favorite movies of all time. So like, it's, there's, there, you know, there's, there's, there is room for some of the more popular stuff, but I think you're right. Going, skirting away from Marvel, skirting away from DC, this, that shit is so ever present. My God, there's a hundred TV shows. I'm sure if we, if we looked for it right now, we could find a fictional Marvel podcast if we wanted to. Oh, I guarantee it. Yep, I fucking already know that that's in existence somewhere. I yeah. fucking you know that that's out there. So, was there any topic or you know or theme that we didn't get to that you did want to do? Okay, so it's definitely topic, and um, there are two reasons that we couldn't get to it, or three reasons. Uh, number one is the timing of its release. Two is the where it would actually fit in, and number three. I still don't know how I feel about House of Dragon. And like we did that whole like that whole thing when Game of Thrones was getting over with, like we were covering exclusively Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, we were a Game and, of Thrones podcast for a solid like f- five months. I fucking loved the shit out of that. And like part of me was like, oh, this House of Dragon is coming out. Maybe we could do something similar. And then like obviously we had the theme months and everything like that. And then the show itself I just do. I like, it's not like I don't have an opinion on it. Cause like I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I don't know like how I feel about it. And there are so many fucking things that like, that I could go into. I'm not going to do that, but I will just give you one as just a kind of just so you can kind of understand my thought process here. It's like, I, when I was watching game of Thrones, like, of course, Daenerys, Tar- Tar- Targaryen, Daenerys Targaryen was interesting. Awesome. Amelia Clark did ama- an amazing job, but I didn't really think the Targaryens were like the m- most interesting part of game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was cool, but it, it, to me, it wasn't the most interesting, like all the stuff that was going on in the North and like the wall and 
you know, like just the more like Westeros kind of stuff I felt more interested in. And then they're like, okay, not only is it going to be a Game of Thrones spinoff, but we're going to go to the Targaryens. And I'm just like, okay, like not what I expected. And like when I think about a movie like Joker, like, and this is the best way I can put it. Joker was this movie that like nobody asked for whatsoever. And it turned out to be the movie we all needed, I guess, in terms of like DC and fans and like DC making a real film. It got fucking nominated for an Oscar. Like I got Joaquin Phoenix won best actor out of that. Mm -hmm. It turned out to be amazing. House of the Dragon is like this thing that like I didn't ask for and it didn't give me the same reaction as I did with Joker, like which I, I love yeah. Joker. Now, there's a lot of positives to take away from House of Dragon, including yes. what could easily be the best Game of Thrones character we've ever had with Daemon Targaryen. Mm-hmm. And but there's just some things with it that I don't it doesn't give me that like same emotional like um, reaction, that same kind of like obsession that I had with, with game of Thrones. Like when the first season of game of Thrones ended the next day, I went to the store and bought the book and started reading the book. Right. Right. House of dragon ended. And I'm just like, Oh, the white Lotus premieres next week, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. like, it's just, I will have more of opinion about it. I am sure as time goes on, I am not like disappointed, but I'm not like happy at the same time. And for us to talk about House of Dragon, I think would be awesome, but it just it just didn't fit anywhere in this year. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I have I have um, I won't I won't belabor the point here because I have kind of similar feelings. I I'm I'm very happy that I have some Game of Thrones thing Game of Thrones property back in my life. Truly, I am, and there is some tremendous performances all around in the show. Like really great. Um, it does give me the the it does give me that feeling of some of the. Some of the things that we talked about in, uh, when we were doing our when we, when we were exclusively a Game of Thrones podcast, um, one of the eight million that were in existence at that point in time, um, roughly speaking, um, that like the the best Game of Thrones episodes to me were always the ones that were a little more talky, where there is a, a little there was a little less dragons killing people, a little less heads getting cut off, and a little more maybe threatening to cut people's heads off, a little more. Mm-hmm talking about cutting people's heads off. And it, it feels like House of the Dragon got a little bit, got not a little bit, got significantly closer to that, to the, the first four seasons of Game of Thrones um, than Game of Thrones did itself the last four seasons. <laughs> so, like, I'm really happy to have that back. And, like, the opening, the opening scene, like, to kind of set the table was great. Um, like, I'm really happy to have it back. Uh, I, I, but like you, I'm just sort of like, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that when you take whenever the second season airs, probably in, I don't know, 2027 or something ridiculous, um, <laughs> whenever the second season airs, that when you put the first and second season back to back, it'll be like a really good companion to like watch mm-hmm. all at once. Like that's kind of what we're waiting for. You know what I mean? Like, dude, yeah. let's get the war kick. Let's get the war kicked off and then kind of go back and see how the war was set up. And I think that'll be a good companion for it. Um, one complaint, you you couldn't you couldn't do a different piece of music for it. Yeah, no, you're right on that. Definitely, yeah, I was kind of sort of disappointed by that. And if I will take it a step further, the fact that they did recycle the same music 
has taken me out of the opening credits all the way. Well, yep. as when Game of Thrones was on, 50% of the reason you watch the show is to see the opening credits, yep. which new part of Westeros will emerge through the, the gears and everything. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you on that too. And it's like, the show is just like, there are times where it's like taking these things that are familiar to the audience and like, instead of like turning on its head or giving something new, it feels just like rehashed and everything. Like when they do the, the first, um, the first episode and there's the, the, you know, a Varys, a King Varys has uh, his wife killed to save their baby. Yeah. I was, I was watching this and I was like, okay, yeah, I for, you know, Game of Thrones did have these shock moments and I started to go through in my mind, like all the different shock moments and everything like that, that the, the first series had. And I was just like, well, when Sansa got raped by Ramsay Bolton, and that was extremely shocking. And that extremely shocking and completely gratuitous. Completely gratuitous. Completely gratuitous. Like, that to me seemed more Game of Thrones than what they did with Varys' wife dying. And it's almost like they're sitting in the writer's room and they're like, all right, guys, we need something really crazy to happen that everybody's going to talk about the next day, just like the first series. What do you guys have? And they all went around the room and picked like literally the most extreme thing that they could possibly think of. And then when you put that into like today's political climate, it's really just feels like they're trying to do something for the sake of doing something instead of. I don't know, at least at least like Sansa's rape by Ramsey, while gratuitous, seemed organic for that situation. We're doing uh, somebody killing their wife to save a baby in episode eh, one. I will I will disagree with Sansa being rape organic because it doesn't happen in the books. And it it, it it's. I don't even are they together in the books? I can't no. even remember if Sansa was promised to Ramsey in the books. No, not at all. Um, it's, um, it's another character entirely, um, but doesn't really matter. Point being, it just, it really, that, that's one of those things that really, you could have just cut after he kind of makes like a threatening face at her. Like we know what's going to happen. Um, the, the, the fact that like he had to like spell it out and it, none of the, none of that felt organic. Um, and it, it was, it was, that to me was very over the top and jarring and unnecessary the the political climate kind of behind House of Dragon, House of the Dragon, it, the the death of um, of Varys's wife, Viserys's wife, actually fits in with the larger theme of motherhood. So to me, that fits. Whether or not you think it's jarring or shocking, yes, of course, it's HBO is going to do something like that. But that fits, and Ramsay raping Sansa doesn't fit at all. Gotcha, gotcha, for sure. Um. Yeah. So I, I'm with you on House of the Dragon. I I don't. I, I have. I just have this feeling that season two is going to sort of serve to really enhance season one. Um, which I think you can make the argument. Um, I think you can make the argument for the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. Each season enhanced the previous one. Like, take the first four as a block, and it's it like each one gets better and better, and it makes the. What you what you see and what you know in the first episodes, just it like you get rewarded for that going forward every single season. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it builds up the right way. They're building towards something. 
and they do it appropriately with the way that they balance time. Because once you cross the fourth season thing, it just becomes this absolute goddamn mess of um, story yeah. timing and all this other shit. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I, I. So real quickly here, just since I mentioned it a couple times, I do wish we could have done something either more performance based, kind of like I mean, I think one of the funniest things that we did this year when we. Um, as first off, just in general, as uh, as smoke in the big freeze was funny as was funny as shit. Like it, that was really funny. And then doing all of those commercial reads, I, those turned out, especially the later ones that we did, those turned out way better than I thought they were going to. They were fucking hysterical. Oh, the commercial reads were priceless. Yes, they fucking were. You bet on that one, definitely. <laughs> uh, and and then I do I do kind of wish we would have done a fully political month, but um, again, like I. I have a feeling that, especially especially with the the midterms recently, I have a feeling it would sort of again get sort of weighed down towards feeling like we're just like bashing the right, as opposed to not that we have to be you know we don't to, we don't even have to throw out the fair and balanced bullshit like Fox does, but you know like at the very least you know we do try to the last time we did a fully political episode we did sort of give we definitely gave jibes to the to the left as well, like and and some of the dumb shit that like. Some of the dumb shit that like these that that people like you know left adherents on Twitter are expecting to happen like in the political realm, um, but I, I just have a feeling that our going forward everything that we did do would be very slanted one direction. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right on that, and it's just the they, the right makes it so easy. <laughs> yep, you know what I'm saying. There's just way way more there to bash than that there is the left and believe me we could definitely throw a couple punches at the left and what um and, and democrats and stuff but like you're right it would have just turned into an all-out like republican bashing session and even with like the midterms i mean it's it basically comes down to like are they going to get a majority or are they not and like if right. we would have done the episode prior to the the midterms yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. We were, we're basically just kind of having like the same conversation over again. Will John Fetterman win? Okay, he could win if this, this, this happens. Will Warnock win? Okay, he could win if this, this, this happens. Right. So it's like a lot of the same repetitive stuff. And um, the other thing, too, is like, you know, prior to the midterms, the Democrats were looking to like, you know, get shellacked. And it didn't necessarily turn out that way. I mean, they still lost the house and everything. But it, it was it was a, this. Yeah, it was a very normal midterm performance for any for any party. Yeah. So, like, you know, I I I don't really know like what we could have got out of that other than just like crazy hypotheticals. You know, if they take the house back, what's going to happen? Like, give me three things. So, you know, I don't know. It would have been crazy hypotheticals. It would have been like, I don't know, like breaking it down to individual races, something like that. I and mean, we could have talked about gerrymandering a little bit. But I, I just like it's one of these conversation topics that like should seem super, super ripe. But when you strip away, you know, some of the, um, you know, like the, the bells and whistles, whistles or whatever. And at its core, you're just kind of talking about the same things over and over again with just different people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. It it feels you know what it feels like it that would be a good minisode, um, you know, talking talking politics in a minisode. Or if we were, were to do a political month, just keep it into political entertainment and you know stuff cover stuff like yeah. Wag mm -hmm. the Dog, The Purge, um, you know, Primary Colors, stuff like that. 
would be right. would probably be the correct avenue to go. And then obviously we could draw parallels from those movies, or you know, or, or if we wanted to talk about House of Cards or something, draw parallels uh, from those TV shows to like what's going on currently. Yeah, and that would be a way more in line with like what we kind of do on the podcast and. Yep. It kind of like more entertaining too. At least you're grounding the political discussion in something. So it's like, oh, you know, in primary colors, Tra- Travolta's supposed to be Clinton, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about, in your opinion, what do you think were the results of the Lewinsky thing? Mm-hmm. Talk about that, then go into something else from the movie, how it may relate to a modern setting or something that we've seen throughout the course of history. Yeah. That's definitely a, a little bit ways, a little bit better of a way to do it. I mean, hell, we could take Bullworth and like, yeah, look good at one, Jay Billington. That's a really good one. Yeah. Look at Jay Billington Bullworth. What is the left and right equivalent of Jay Billington Bullworth? Because we have them both, you know, yep. so like stuff yep. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So there's something there. There's, there's definitely food for thought there, but um, you know, whatever it is, what it is. So anything you wanted to add to any episode that you forgot about or maybe just something popped into your head recently? Like you mentioned, you're doing like an 80s deep dive and you're thinking about 80s sports. Anything else like along those lines that you're like, man, we should have we should have popped this into the episode. Like there's nothing like specific that I can think of, like in terms of like, you know, what we I'm sure that if I went back over stuff, we maybe could have gotten like a, a couple minutes out of a certain scene or some kind of element from a movie. But like when I go back over it, I think we did a pretty thorough job with a lot of the topics that we discussed. There's like yeah. there's not really anything like specific that I can go back to and point to where it's like, yep, we totally forgot to talk about that. Let's add that in. In some way, shape, or form, I feel we've covered all of the important ground that we would need to cover. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny, though. Sometimes when I'm editing these episodes and I'm listening to parts of them, we'll, we'll both do this on occasion where we, um, we're like, or, you know, we don't say it exactly like this, but it would be like one of those, like, well, I'm going to put a pin in this. We'll circle back to it. And then we never do. <laughs> like we, <laughs> right? <laughs> the discussion right. just goes someplace else. We forget about it. That happens to us quite a bit, actually. Um, but that, I just thought that's part of the reason why I kind of asked this question because there's that happens a lot to us. <laughs> where there's right. probably oh, there's yeah. probably people listening that are just like, so are they ever going to get back to this or no? That's <laughs> just going to go okay, whatever. So no, but I I think you're right. I did have a couple of things pop into my head recently and one's one sort of a correction and one's just an add-on that i was thinking about so our since you mentioned the 1980s our our 1980s movie pitches um i pitched the action horror movie um you know the soldiers uh fighting uh right i, I guess you call demons in a um in uh in a, an abandoned nuclear uh russian city um so one thing like I, I was really thinking about this, so like I, I met, I went over the way to talk about the flag of Zlesnogorsk with the um, with the bear tearing the atom apart, and how I didn't include an actual demon bear, I don't know, but clearly there needs to be an actual demon bear like stomping through the fucking sure. you know crawl spaces and hallways and shit, hunting them down, right? Like that seems like something I should include. Oh, considering that there's cocaine bear coming out, demon bear, yep. yes, definitely. Cocaine yeah. bear, demon bear, cousins, probably, probably cousins. <laughs> um, yeah, so that should have been a part of it. And then also, <clears throat> I don't know how I how I didn't put this in originally. There's got to be a Zelensky cameo. Like, not full on, like he comes in and says something, probably just like a picture in like a briefing or a file or something. Like I, I'd mentioned yeah. before that like there's, it's kind of like in the episode when I was talking about it, 
that the the whole setup was like essentially that Russia was fighting like multiple civil wars at this point as right. as like the Ukraine and Kazakhstan and all these states started to break away. They were fighting, you know, wars on multiple fronts to keep themselves together. Um, so one of those fronts clearly has to be the Ukraine and Zelensky clearly has to be the leader of this faction fighting against the Russians in Ukraine. Pretty easy. Pretty easy cameo right there. Oh, dude, he was Time Magazine's uh, Person of the Year. So, of course, he's worthy of a cameo. Definitely. Yep. He can even be the Time Magazine um, cover in the background framed or something. Yep, exactly. Uh, and one quick correction here. So I mentioned um, this sort of superhuman talent that plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, however, I pronounced his name incorrectly. I, I assume he's from the Dominican. So I assume that his name um, on, it was Oniel Cruz. Like, I, they... I don't, want to, I don't want to get like too far into um, some of the Caribbean names, but they do kind of get a little bit wonky. Um, but it, literally, it is O O N E I L Cruz. How you think Spanish Cruz would be spelled C R U Z? Um, but it's literally O'Neill. Um, oh shit! He's O'Neill Cruz, and he is named after Paul O'Neill. Um, it was it, Paul. His dad played. His O'Neill Cruz's dad played briefly in the major leagues, um, but like his dad's favorite baseball player was Paul O'Neill. So he named him after Paul O'Neill. Um, so it's O'Neill Cruz, and I shortchanged him a little bit on his size and strength. He is a six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound shortstop who moves. I mean, he's a basketball player who moves around so fucking easily on the field. It doesn't look he doesn't look right playing on the infield. He's so big, and his YouTube reel of like highlights is pretty short. I mean, we're only talking about ten minutes. He's only been in the you know this is his first full major league season, but like mm-hmm. it's fucking jaw dropping. He, when he hits the ball solidly, it sounds like the bat explodes. Um, <laughs> I mean, like he, so he had like a single I mentioned before. He had a single that he hit at 122 miles an hour off the, it, it got to the, it got to the right field wall in Pittsburgh in like literally the snap of a finger. It was, it was colliding with the wall. Um, and so much so that the announcers were like, they were like, holy shit. Did you see how fast that ball got out? Like, I've never seen that before. And then. Like a week later, he hit a line drive. It looks like it's almost at the center fielder, but you can tell how fast it's getting to him. Because like, even though it's about like eight, ten feet to his right, he can't get to it. Like it gets to him so fast, he can't even get over to get to it. It's, it's this guy's of such a unique talent. I don't know if he's ever going to be like a Hall of Famer, but like he reminds me a lot of like uh, Vlad Guerrero Sr. This mm-hmm. sort of like guy who's just has all the physical raw talent and maybe he never completely harnesses it. But even if he gets like, even if he just partially taps into what he's capable of could end up, you know, having like hall of fame type numbers. It, it just seems like he could be that good. Yeah, dude, I got you. And I'm sure he'll, um, you know, the Pittsburgh will get rid of them and he'll end up on the Dodgers or something like that pretty soon. Cause there's no way in hell a talent like that is going to stay in Probably Pittsburgh. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, like I do think that his name being O'Neill is fucking awesome. Actually. Like that is a really awesome last name to put into a first name. And um, yeah, like I'm very interested to see uh, some footage of this guy in action because like what you're describing here and stuff just sounds awesome. The idea of a six, seven shortstop, sounds fucking dope. Like there's no way that that looks right when you're watching it on TV. He looks like a creative player. 
right? Yeah. Like it, when, you're, when you're playing like a video game, like you know, be it um, a baseball game or like 2K or something like that. Like you always make your guy gigantic for whatever reason. That's what he right. looks like. Looks like a creative player. Yeah, it's like the dude from um, it's like the dude from uh, Baylor and stuff like that. That uh, when he walk, you know, like there's this there's this guy. I'm looking him up right now. Um, oh, Sean Oakman. Like Sean Oakman. Yeah, when you see like that footage of him, it's just like this huge monster guy. Like, um, it's just like oh, God, like what the hell? This dude is actually like alive. This is a human being right here. Just a monster dude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's get into our bread and butter here. Um, we're talking about movies, TV, sports, pop culture, and then there's just like a little open wild card section here. Uh, all the things that we, generally speaking, we cover. So just our most interesting slash favorite things from 2022. Uh, we'll just we'll go right down the list. We'll just go back and forth. Channel. We don't have to get too deep into a, a discussion about these things. But so, what was your favorite thing in movies from this past year? Okay, man. Like I, God, I, I seriously thought about this for a while, and like I landed in the most generic answer humanly possible because I, I went by the movie that I've watched the most this year, and it's the Batman. I fucking mm. love this new incarnation of the Batman. I, I, do. I just, yeah. I, I ordered the shooting script from Amazon, so that that came recently. It's this awesome like hardbound thing with an interview with Matt Reeves in the beginning, and I am all about this take on the Batman, like. When I came out of the theater, I I loved the movie. I thought this was awesome. Now we're at almost a year later, and I'm just like, God, this is just like this was so needed. You're like I don't know why, but I'm just like this was like just so what was needed to be done with the character, and I not only the character of Batman. To when I say the character, what I mean specifically is that he was in the bat suit for like eighty percent of the movie. That's a Batman movie that I signed yeah. up. That's like what I signed up for and stuff. Like what we got out of um, BVS, even though I, I loved Affleck as Batman and I, I still think Affleck might be like one of my favorites aside mm-hmm. from Michael Keaton. Um, we didn't get full shots of him in the Batsuit till like much later on in the movie. Pattinson, we get it in the first five minutes and he rarely takes that off. I loved it. I do love this awesome new version of Gotham city and this like kind of modern day take on like the, the the character of the Riddler and stuff, just being this like internet troll just out there doing damage and stuff. Mm -hmm. It speaks so much to the world that we live in today. And I am so excited to see what Matt Reeves is going to do in the future. And there is one last thing that I will end this on. And I will personally tell you that, Originally, I was kind of disappointed when I saw the Joker in the movie, but I read or heard on a podcast somewhere um, soon after seeing the movie that and this is just like a, a theory that was thrown out there was like, what if the Joker is just like his version of Hannibal Lecter? Like he's in Arkham the entire time, like he never gets out during the course of Matt Reeves's helming of Batman. Very possible. And I fucking loved that. I was just because like when I saw him at the end, I was just like man, the second movie better not feature the Joker. I just wasn't ready for another Joker movie considering we've had, this would have been three different Jokers out of the last five years. Um, I was, I was just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, whatever. But then when I heard about this, I was like, this is how it should be done. And I'm hoping that Matt Reeves continues to do that. And we maybe get a villain next time around that we, that we haven't seen on screen before, or we get a really cool new modern take on a, a villain that we maybe have seen previously. I think you're, I think you're right with, um, 
I think you're right with the Joker, just to circle back to this real quickly, um, that he it is he is going to kind of be always locked up. And I think that, I think it's one of those things that it's just, it, it is, the threat of the Joker is, especially post, um, especially post Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, um, it's just sort of like probably better for right now to not have Barry Keough, like, try to top it. Or right. even, not even that he would be trying to top it, but that would be the sort of the um, the the lar- the read on it in general was like, oh, how is he going to be able to top Heath Ledger? Like, well, you, you can't. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> the performance is iconic. Um, you just can't. So I, I do have a feeling that it, it is going to be kind of like these, and I, I and I think that it, it'll serve the character and of both characters of the Joker and the Batman for whenever they do want to quote unquote unleash him. I think through the through certainly through the second movie he is going to be caged up still, and but I'm sure we're going to get like I, I'm sure you saw like the the you know the the full cut of that interview, the, or the interview that got cut from the from the final from the final theatrical cut. Oh, you bet the scene. Yeah. Yes, you bet. I loved it. I fucking loved it. It was just I actually was mad that they got rid of it once I saw how good it was. Yep, that more of that is going to be happening, and it's going to be fucking great to see. To you know, you, you already got like a little bit of, of a peek of, as to what that version of the Joker is going to be like. Um, insane, sure, of course, he's in Arkham Asylum, so obviously he's insane. But like, clearly, like someone who is—it's not just insanity; it's also very clearly like anger that is mm-hmm. just at the surface. Of whereas, like, I don't think I don't think Heath Ledger was angry; he just wanted to fucking destroy things. Like it, it was—it right. was like a kid playing. Right, like that's that's my read on that version of the Joker. It, what we got yep. in that in that brief scene um, with Barry Keough was more like it felt like an insane person who was also really fucking angry. And I'm very interested to see. I, I just think it would again, like I said, I just think it would serve both both characters better if we keep them in the box as long as possible. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that, and this will give Matt Reeves the opportunity to do just something entirely different and unique. And like, I'm more interested in like what he is going to do with the characters we haven't seen before, or, you know, like I know he did the Riddler and like, I'm okay on two face. So like what, basically what I'm saying here is that he picked the right move with the Riddler because the last image we have of the Riddler is Jim Carrey granted for that movie at the time. I thought Jim Carrey did an amazing job, but the Riddler I think was, was picked perfectly so if we go into characters that we've never seen on screen before i'm more excited for him to do something even with the court of owls which is just like such a left Mm -hmm. out of left field type suggestion i'm more excited to see what he could maybe do with that than like oh hey by the way we're two faces coming back and harvey dent is corrupt this time i'm just like nah i'm good i'm good on what we've seen before it's time to like break some new ground especially with with especially with batman that we've seen on screen a couple of times with their fucking the TV movies, all that kind of stuff. And he still feels like he broke new ground in some way with this movie. Mm-hmm. I fully agree with you there. It was, it was definitely a needed, um, a needed entry into, into the Batman filmography. It definitely feels, it feels the spirit of it feels much more like the Michael Keaton, Batman, the, the original Michael Keaton, Batman. Yeah, definitely, dude. So Batman was mine. What is yours? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go here with a movie that we've talked about a couple times, but not really at length. I have to go with Prey. Um, it's just so good. Really great movie. 
Amber Midthunder is a very compelling lead. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, you know, what she takes on next. Um, like she was great um, uh, as was it Naru? Let me pull this up real quick. She was great. She was great as Naru. Um, how about how about Dakota Beavers, the guy who played her brother Tabe? Um, first ever role. And this is it. This is his first ever mm-hmm. role, and he fucking nailed it. Like he hit it out of the park. Um, it, it like so. Just in terms of performances, obviously there was more actors than that, but these are the two. These two were on screen for what eighty percent of the movie. Um, Easily, yeah. So these are the two performances that the whole movie is based on, and they're both great. Like they're both fantastic. Um, and we, as we mentioned before, taking it out of modern times really helped get back to the roots of what makes this franchise and this particular movie monster like an all-time great. Like when you when you begin to like add in all the tech stuff from the Predator that preceded this, I think it's just called The Predator, correct? The 2018 one? The, yeah, the uh, the Shane Black Predator. The Shane Black, yes, yeah. It's just The Predator, yes. Yeah. Um, so when you, you know, there's like that kind of, there's like that version of it where he's enhanced and like genetically modified. There's predators which actually again i I enjoy that movie but like there's we're getting into like we're getting into like all these technological advancements and enhancements that's not what makes the predator interesting what made the predator interesting in the very first movie was just sort of like mano a mano the best the best that you have versus the best that we have and taking it and putting it in the 1700s make sure that it takes and also kind of in in a very appropriate way sort of taking the technology for the predator back you know 300 years it, it all just sort of fit to give, like, a very a, an interesting atmosphere that, like, these movies were sorely missing recently. Um, e- even the even the Predator design gave some nods to some of the other movies. Um, you know, the, the helmet design, what it looked like. It, it just, it was just, all around it was so fucking great. I, this is this is one of the movies that I've revisited on multiple occasions or just have just picked up to watch particular scenes. It is, it is that compelling, it's that great, and I hope they... I hope they, whatever they go to try to do the next one, next version of this, I hope they take these notes, whether it's a modern one or not, to like, okay, what is, what are the lessons to be learned here? Modern times or not, let's not like go fucking crazy with like all the tech shit. Let's not go Mm -hmm. crazy with like the urban setting. Let's not make the Predator eight feet tall. None of that makes sense. Scale it back and make it, not make it small, but make it make sense within the framework of what, of like, of this reality. Yeah, dude, all the way, could not agree with you more on this. They did so many good things with this movie that they were not doing in the previous ones all the way. And like making everything just so simplistic helped this movie out in ways that I did not even expect it to. I, I'm not going to lie. I will tell you, like when I, I was all about the concept, but coming off of the Shane Black Predator I was a little like skeptical as to what prey would actually be. I, I'm not going to lie. For some reason, I kind of thought of uh, tremors three for some reason. Oh, That's for sure. The first thing yeah. that came into my mind. <laughs> and um, it turned out to be easily the most fun uh, that, that I've had watching movies like this year that turned like that movie just reignited my interest in the predator franchise in ways that I had not experienced since I saw um, predators, which was just the most dangerous game, but with predators and right. a lot of people and stuff. So um, the fact that they went with this movie that was very simplistic over all of the complicated routes that they've chosen in the past really, really clicked for me. And like, this is exactly what they need to do going forward and stuff. And like, you have a, um, a protagonist that 
like has the capability to like beat the predator and is the most honest, like most unassuming person you never thought it would be that takes the predator down. And that's what makes it so fucking great. Like it's one thing for Arnold to go beat the predator. Like, of course I want to see Arnold fight the predator, but Arnold's a big Jack dude. Like mm-hmm. Amber mid thunder is not a big jacked ass dude. And like that, I thought worked so well into the, the storytelling yep. and stuff like that. It just really upped the, the stakes of the situation. And like, I cannot get over just the setting it back into more primitive times where they didn't have the technology. It just worked so fucking well, dude. It really did. Mm -hmm. And prey was prey is one of these movies like Joker where we didn't ask for it. And it turned out to be everything we needed. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, how about, uh, how about your, uh, your TV, everything from TV this year. It was Atlanta. It really mm-hmm. was. We got two seasons of it this year. They, it, it's over with now. They ended it phenomenally. Like it was a show that, as far as season series finales go, did it the right way. Like it wasn't a Seinfeld series finale in any way, shape, or form. It was a just like its own standalone episode. There was no real inclination that the show was going to be over with, except for if you maybe watched the previous episodes, the characters were kind of finishing their ultimate arcs and stuff like that throughout the course of the series with Donald Glover becoming a family man. And um, the guy who plays Paperboy like finding some like peace and like success in his life and everything, all of these kind of wrapped up in the, the um, episodes leading up to the finale. And then when you got to the finale, it was like just a straight up, what Atlanta does best, like you put the focus on Lakeith Stanfield, um, give it a little bit of a sense of adventure, like they're going to different places and everything. You fill it up with weird, quirky, kooky characters that the show is known for. And we got a uh, an African-American sushi chef, sushi chef in the finale and the, this really interesting kind of monologue that he did. So Atlanta is one of these shows that is just it's very, very special and it's going to be remembered as a very, very special show. And what they did in the last season, particular, particularly just reminded me of why the show was so goddamn great in the beginning. Like the second to last season that we also got this year was good. It was a little abstract where they really did some great jobs in terms of art and making a point and like making a statement and all that stuff. But when it comes to the execution, the execution was a little off in some of the episodes. I mean, there's one episode in there where it's just like, okay, we could just, that was boring. Let's just move on to the next one. But the, the last season didn't have that at all. Every episode had its place. Every episode was great. We got new stuff in every episode and I'm going to be very, very sad to see this show go because it was a show that is truly like no other in terms of comedy and from what we've seen out of the last 10 years. It really is a cut above some of the rest. I still have yet to partake in Atlanta, but it's definitely on the list. I'll I'll ask you, do you think that do you think that they're ending it at the right time or do you think that there's a little bit more juice there? Okay, I do feel that there's more juice because the show was just oozing creativity like at all costs, like and pretty much from every angle the show drips drips with creativity. However, I feel that they picked the right time to end it because as you got from the season that aired before the last season, there were a lot of standalone, almost like um, anthology style episodes, characters we never really saw again. And while some of these were entertaining, some of these made great social commentary, 
the show would have been this going forward and we would have lost a lot of what we built up with the core cast as we lost a lot with the core cast when they did this kind of second to last season. Like they weren't in it as much. And I do feel that if the show would have gone on, it would have just gotten to the point where they are doing these anthology episodes over and over. And it's more about making a point in social commentary than it is developing a relationship with the audience in terms of the characters. So while there is definitely creativity and still some juice in the show, I feel that they ended it at an appropriate time because you end it now, the show would have never gone bad. We would have not woken up like 10 years from now. And it's like, Oh my God, Atlanta's still on. Like the fact that it's always sunny is doing what they're doing is like, that's like once in a lifetime that a comedy like that can oh, run yeah. for as long as it is and still be like as good as it is. And believe me, like there's arguments to be made about, new sunny maybe not being as good as like seasons three through six sunny but sunny still gets a laugh out of me whereas the simpsons does not and it's been on for 30 years so like what sunny's doing is one in a million and like for atlanta to do to do something like that i think it would be entirely out of character for the show and i think people would kind of get like sick of it not because of the creativity just because it's like okay it's like oh god it's another anthology episode something like that so i felt yeah. that they did it at the right time i gotcha i, I think it's it the tv shows it always feels like um it has a lot of common with sports like you want to you want to trade the star athlete your star player a year too early as opposed to a year too late um right you just never know when the exact point in time comes so i suppose you would rather, I suppose, you'd rather end Atlanta maybe a season too early than drag on for potentially five extra seasons like The Walking Dead didn't need to. Um, right. So yeah, it's it, but it, but it's hard to make that call. It's hard to make, it's, it's hard to know when to make that call. You know. Yeah, exactly. And like, I feel that if there was any kind of like negotiations about where to take the show, this additional season that we got this year this was what the show needed. Cause if it would have ended on like the, from the previous season, I, I have a feeling that like people would have been like, Oh yeah, it was really funny. But like, what was up with that last season? I, that's how I could see the show and how I can see people c commenting about the show, but now they don't have that. And now I think a lot of people are just like, they did this right. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, yeah, it's still definitely still on my two checkout list. I, I know I'm going to get around to eventually. I just don't know when you're going to um, like it. Believe oh, me, I'm, you're I'm sure I will. It. I'm sure I will. Um, so I'm going to go with a, with a show that I think is very far from perfect, uh, which I'll get into a little bit, but I still, when it, when it hit the right notes, it hit those notes like really, really well. And I have to talk about Halo. Um, the, the first, real complete um attempt at a halo property outside of the video games there have obviously been other short films and some other stuff and there was like actually a, there's a there's a tv show briefly um with like mike coulter that was um i think it was about the marines it wasn't about um the master chief himself mm -hmm. um so like there were other attempts to um to do this but how it took this long to get the master chief on you know a be a tv or film is beyond me it just seems like the money was right there for it waiting for, to be spent on this fucking thing and it definitely had many many problems like legitimate problems in terms of like pacing 
Um, mm-hmm. There's some episodes that you could just completely cut out that really don't even matter because they have nothing to do with the Master Chief. But like when they got stuff right, they got it fucking right. Pablo Schreiber, really good Master Chief. Like, yep. really, really like him as Master Chief. Um, it's not just like the physical size, but sort of the. Um, I mean, he's a giant. He's like six six, but it, it, he. You know, it's tough to like what it, you know. It's t- everyone has a different idea of what this character should be because if you played the game, it's you. You're picturing yourself as right. the Master Chief, but when when you have to watch it on screen for some reason, well, also they made the the wise choice first episode take the damn helmet off. Uh, let's let's show what this guy looks like instead of like making yep. it a secret. Um, and just for some reason, when he does take his helmet off and reveal himself, it it, it wasn't like. It wasn't jarring. I'm like, okay, Pablo Schreiber fits. This is good. So that's going to be something that's not going to be a, a you know a mental hurdle for me going going forward. Um, they also did a really good job of not shying away of like what the um, the UNN or the UNSC and the UNN um, are. Uh, this this governing body of humanity in this portion of space are fascists. Horrible, horrible fascists. The only reason why Master Chief and the other um, Spartans exist is to go to the planets which they've colonized, crush rebellions, and continue to pull all the resources out of to help the engine, essentially, that is uh, the main planet, uh, which is Reach in this portion of space. Um, So they don't shy away from the fact that this is a completely fascistic government. And, in fact, a lot of, like, when they have their little, um, you know, their little governmental meetings, uh, you tell me which ones are the Nazis. Because they literally are dressed like Nazis. Like it's, mm-hmm. they're not shying away from like what's going on there. Um, and I, I think the, the the games clearly don't spell that out quite so much. But like that's why the character even exists in the games is to crush human rebellions. Um, and it just so happens that um, you know this this foe, the Covenant, comes along at you know to sort of uh, interrupt this um, this insurrection, this uh, civil war. Um, so when they got those beats right, I'm glad they didn't go along beat for beat for the games with the games. It's more of they're taking stuff from the games and then reimagining it and, and kind of rejiggering it for their own purposes. Like it actually stretches quite far away from like where the games are going, but it does give them license to sort of introduce characters and introduce an interesting way for us to get to the Halo. Like when the in the in the final episodes, we actually finally get to the Halo um, and kind of the impending holy war is essentially kicking off at this point. So there is a lot wrong with it, um, but there's a lot more right with it. And I have a feeling that season two will be a much better, in the same way House of the Dragon will kind of be a compliment. I have a feeling season two will sort of, will sort of tie up some of these. There's a lot of loose ends that they left wide open for no apparent reason. Um, Hmm. I have a feeling they're going to tie a lot of those up. And I have a feeling that we're going to get some of the better as we get more into like what's going to become with this war. Uh, we're going to get into some more um, of the, you know, the the Halo equivalent of like the palace intrigue that we have from Game of Thrones is going to kind of amp up, which is those were the much more interesting scenes Worse was sort of the scheming from the government, from the people in charge of the government, from the people in charge of the Spartan project. The scheming stuff was definitely like, really great. And I have a feeling that we're going to get more towards that now that we've set some of the foundational pieces in place for where the show is going to go. So is it perfect? Absolutely not. But for like a big fucking Halo nerd like me, this was the the best thing that I've seen in terms of of uh, a Halo TV movie anything property so far. Okay, that is really good to know because I started watching the show. My mom gave me her Paramount Plus, and 
I started watching it and I enjoyed the first episode and like, I'm not going to lie. I fell off a little bit with it. I think I got wrapped up in like something else. So I did Mm -hmm. enjoy like the first episode. I like the setup here somewhere in the, there were, I guess second episode gets a little wonky. Okay. So thank you. Cause like, it seemed like there were just a lot of, cause I'm not entirely familiar with like the halo folklore and a lot of like the, you know, like kind of like the, the, the stories behind it. I just kind of know some of the things from the game and I'm right. not some of it, some of it just doesn't matter at all. I can tell you that much right now. Some of it doesn't matter at all. So, okay. Cause like I do plan on going back to it. I, I, number one, I this is the first time I'm hearing your opinions on the show, which I'm just like, wow, like we've been this whole, this whole time the show has been around and we haven't had the opportunity to discuss it. And like, I am definitely interested in going back on it. There were just certain things that I guess I had to, kind of accept i don't really know what i expected the show to be but there were some things that i was just it was a little surprising to me and i think now that i've kind of accepted that this is what the show is that i'll maybe enjoy it more because i just didn't know what they were going to do like even like the opening um the opening like kind of battle fight sequence and stuff like that where we first see the master chief come into play mm-hmm. i was just like wow we're starting the show off like this i i didn't expect that and so now that my expectations have kind of been tampered a little bit and i know a little bit more about the direction that the show's going i'm in tr- i'm definitely like intrigued to watch it because i i am a fan of this game i've been kind of wanting a show like this to come out for a while now and um I do plan on going back to it and I guess maybe like I kind of needed to hear your thoughts on it maybe before I dove a little bit farther. Um, Quick question. Do we get to the flood at all in the first season? No. Um, Okay. We, it's, it's all covenant. Um, Okay. We get to, did you get to Mackie, the human that's with the covenant? Oh, I don't think I have yet. No, I'm like, I'm literally like in the first two, three episodes, something like that. So you'll, um, so my, my like if I had to sort of give this like a quick spoiler free synopsis for you, there needs to be more Mackie and less Quan Ha, the okay. um, the survivor from Madrigal in the, in the opening, the only okay. person that survives. Gotcha. And yeah. She's totally fine. Like I, I have no problem with with uh, actually Quan Ha is played by Yiren Ha. I have no problem with the performance whatsoever. Her story just doesn't fit yet. Um, okay. And they kind of. It's kind of like the. It's definitely the ongoing B story. It just there's no place for it right now, and I would much rather we get more with his Spartan team and more with the human who is like the Covenant uh, envoy, I guess. Um, Mackie, who's I love that she, she's pretty good. Um, I also love that her name, this actress's name, is Charlie Murphy. Just fucking cracks me up every time. Um, yeah. But it, like we need. It, I, that that would be my fix, basically, was less of this one girl, more of this other woman, uh, more of the story that brings the Covenant and um, and the Master Chief closer together, less of some of this other mystic stuff. But it, it's that's sort of the open shit that we're going to leave open. But it's you'll see what I mean. You'll you'll yeah. see exactly what I mean. Yeah, because like, dude, like, I like the cast. I like Doug. I, I'm a Pablo Schreiber, Schreiber guy in yep. general, so I dug him as the Master Chief. I love Natasha McClone, um Yep. In her role in the show, like, I'm just I've, a, I've been a fan of hers forever. Californication, all that stuff. Uh, Bokeem Woodbine. These guys, I love all. Even they got Burn Gorman in there somewhere. So like, yep. I love this cast. I just like 
and I'm telling you, a lot of it comes from, this is just one of these things where like, because something wasn't what I expected, though I didn't even really know what to expect in the beginning, I just, my expectations and the reality, like those planes haven't quite crossed each other yet. You know what I'm saying? So like I, or no, they, now they've crossed each other, but before they didn't. So I, um, I guess I kind of need a little bit of guidance and I yeah. do intend on watching it and I, I know I will. Um, so I'm really glad to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I know this was something you were definitely excited about. Yeah. Excited. Um, definitely. It definitely didn't hit the target exactly, but again, like, it, it, there is some there is definitely some good stuff in there like there's definitely some very good stuff in there something that will always make me laugh though i don't know how tall charlie murphy is um not very is my guess because there's definitely a scene where she's walking next to pablo schreiber and you can visibly see that she's in like at least three inch lifts um like these boots like definitely have huge fucking chunks in the bottom of them and her head is still like just barely at his chest Oh like, wow! She like, and I'm sure he's wearing like boots too. So I'm sure he's like probably closer to six seven when he's kind of made up to be the master chief. Probably even taller than mm. that. But it just right. looks so fucking bizarre when they're next to each other. I'm like, wow, you are way smaller than he is, <laughs> dude. I was when Jess and I went to Warner Brothers Studio um, about a month or two ago with her parents. They had Zoe Kravitz's cat suit in um, in on display and stuff like that. And they're like the Batman section. Robert Pattinson is pretty short and Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman suit was at least like four inches short. I mean, like some of these people are just fucking tiny. Dude, they're munchkins. You could probably fit Florence Pugh in your shirt pocket. You know what I'm saying? These people are just (laughs) so little. Like, and you and I are like bigger dudes and stuff like that. So, I mean, when I'm looking at um, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, I'm like, is is a a child wear this? Like, what the hell? Yeah, dude, it's it's fucking crazy. I think, I mean, that's sort of the purpose too. Like the Spartans, like in in game lore, are supposed to be huge. Like Mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're all like essentially NBA players on steroids, basically. Um, but like, so it does really like shows up here. Even the other Spartans, the people that play them, um, this one chick, Kate Kennedy, she's gotta be six, four. I, I mean, she's enormous. Um, this other chick, I can't remember her. I can't remember. She's got, you'll, you'll see her. She's got, um, she's like, I think she's like, I think she's black and white with like, and I think her, I think she's like a redheaded black woman. Like oh, uh, Natasha Kalzak. I think that's, that sounds right. Yeah. Or Olive Gray, Miranda Keys. Okay. No, no. Yeah, um, gotcha. The one who plays the Spartan. Um, she's fucking enormous. Like, they, they, uh, clearly the casting direction for this was like, find me tall, huge fucking people. Was that, that was, that was the casting direction. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, they, I'm telling you, like, yeah, this girl, Kate Kennedy, like, she, like, looks awesome in this, the, the, um, the Spartan, Spartan fatigue and all that stuff yeah. for sure. So there you go, Halo. Uh, let's let's move on to before I get more into that. Let's move on to sports. Um, your favorite thing from uh, sports this year was the Guardians silencing all the fucking name babies out there. Like once they started winning, those people really went away fast. And like we've been we've been in this argument with the name for our entire lives. It finally happened, and like you know, like I guess when I first heard it, I was like, okay, it's the Guardians. I guess maybe I didn't like it in the beginning. Not that I like was like, Oh God, go back and keep the Indians. Like, cause you need to do that. I just was like, maybe they could have thought of something better, but over time it, it, it definitely like really got to me. I started liking it. 
And I really started liking it once all the, uh, oh, they should have never did that. Once all those people shut up and started to kind of fade away, I'm sure they're still out there, but they're not, not like in the capacity that they were before. And for them to um, put a winning product on the field and for them to silence these um, assholes all at the same time, it was just like two birds with one stone, man. It doesn't get any better than that. Yep. Yep. Um, And you know what? I don't think the um, I don't think the Dolans care as long as you're because there are definitely people I know that still show up and complain about it. And I'm like, well, then don't give them your money. Right. But they are. (laughs) So like clearly it doesn't bother you enough to boycott the team. And there there are definitely people that like, you know, you probably listen to some of the like the you know, you probably heard it like on the fam whenever you give it a listen. Um, People calling in saying like, oh, yeah, my neighbor, he doesn't watch anymore. I'm like, your neighbor is 74 and he does not matter to the Dolans. Because right. he's not coming there to—he's not coming there and spending money on merchandise like someone who is thirty-four is. That's who he care. That's who the Dolans care about. So, yeah, exactly. your old friend not listening, not paying attention anymore—they don't give a shit. Right? Yeah. You, it's like, oh my god! Like, what, so you don't listen to the Guardians anymore? What do you think is happening here? Do you think somebody is sitting out there like, oh my god, we really got to retool the team to get Barry back involved? No, they don't give a fucking shit about you. Like Jesus Christ! Like they're the after the next people, fan. Yeah, the fact that people like think that they're not watching anything is like actually making its way up to the ownership. Like, like they really care is just is so hysterical to me. It really, really is. And the fact that these people at ninety two point three call that and it's like it's almost like some badge of honor. Like, yeah, this guy doesn't watch it anymore. Well, fuck you, bull. Like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I. Yeah, I, I'm. You know what? If if they keep winning, um, I like the I like the signing that they made uh, yesterday with uh, bringing Josh Bell in. If they keep winning, the same people are going to complain, but they're still going to be there watching baseball games if they keep winning. So God, I I hate this winning team. I know, I right? Hate this, I hate this winning team that's doing so well and making me smile. Fuck you guys for making me happy. Ridiculous, God. ridiculous. I know. <laughs> um, I'll I will stick with a former uh, a former offensive team name. Um, I, my favorite thing this year is the ongoing downfall of Dan Snyder, um, which kind of got like a, 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 a seal of approval from the United States government uh, today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, no one deserves a congressional investigation more than Dan Snyder. Um, and that's just for his mistreatment of his employees and the the horrible environment that he fostered um, as as owner of the of the then Washington team that totally remained nameless and the now current commanders. Um, it's just, he's such an appalling human being, um, the way that he treats his employees, the culture of fear that he instilled. And that's not even, we're not even getting to the, all the dumb bullshit on the football field. Um, how this team has just crumbled since he took over, how even when he has successful coaches, he fires them, how he, how he is, he can pretend that he's, you know, not a meddling owner, but like all these owners that, all these owners have their hand too far to the cookie jar anyway, but you know that some of these decisions are his then, you know, directly his and uh, someone like Ron Rivera just has to trot out and kind of toe the company line. I give Ron Rivera a lot of credit for sort of somehow being the human shield for this franchise um, while he's also trying to coach a team that is right now almost in the playoffs. So I give Ron Rivera a lot of credit that this, this horrible circus going around around him, um, it, but it really hasn't affected him that much. I just, it, it's it's just so fucking embarrassing. Like, the things that they do to sort of um, try to deflect attention away from everything that's going on behind the scenes. 
Um, you know, like it most most notably, they always trot out Sean Taylor whenever they need some like positive press, and whenever they tar- whenever they bring out something for Sean Taylor, they always fuck it up. Um, you saw the the quote unquote memorial statue to Sean Taylor. Oh, I saw that. Yep the the mannequin that looks like it came from Dick's with some of his stuff on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Great, fantastic. That's a permanent thing. How about you make an actual statue? If, right. If he means that much to you. Um, last year they they did the number ceremony thing that was like at halftime. Apparently, it was very quiet, and they let Jackson Mahomes do Jackson Mahomes do a fucking TikTok on top of the on top of the number that was cordoned off. Um, like. <laughs> That that was terrible. There's a street named after Sean after Sean Taylor outside the stadium, and there's a bunch of porta potties on that street during game days. So Jesus like, Christ. like <laughs> even even the things that like are slam dunk easy things they can't fucking do because Dan because Dan Snyder doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not that he's like lazy. He just doesn't care about like he doesn't care about like showing that he he's taking anything seriously. I think that's what it is. He just doesn't fucking care about what what you think about him. Um, I, I just, I don't know, like, and, and we found out, well, I mean, I think we already knew, but we found out today officially that like the Gruden emails were all leaked by, by Washington. So mm-hmm. ergo, they were leaked by Dan Snyder. Um, the NFL, again, not that any of these billionaires are like good people, but the NFL can't get rid of this motherfucker fast enough. Oh, I know. They got to fucking get this guy out of here. ASA fucking P, dude. Like, I just was reading through that list you sent me earlier. Insane. I can't even believe some of the people would do some of this fucking shit on here. Like, this is like this is like horrible human being type stuff here. You know, like, this is like god-awful piece of shit human being type stuff. And this is somebody that the league is, like, way better off without. And I'll tell you something. If it comes down to... Him going out like a bitch and like, you know, like ratting on all these other people. So be it. I want to know all this kind of stuff here. And yes. if you have dirt on everybody, take them all fucking down with you, dude. Just just fucking do it. And I don't care who it is. It is it's got if you have stuff on the Haslams, I want it and I want it now. Honestly, like, yes. Because <laughs> like when it when it comes down to like some of the like there's just no reason for me to like sympathize with any of the owners in any capacity whatsoever. So like if there is somewhat of an owner's war brewing, let it fucking happen. I would be all for that. That'd be the greatest off season entertainment that Lee could ever provide. Yep. I agree. I fully agree. Uh, burn it down. Some people just, some, some men just want to watch the world burn. Um, yep. Maybe it's Dan <laughs> Snyder now. Um, and you know what? The, the shame of it is if all of this bullshit, if, after, after, you know, we, we get the details of some of the like the workplace, especially if you're a woman who happened to work for Washington, how awful it was for you, how they, you know, how they used to ogle and fondle cheerleaders and other weird bullshit. Like the shame of it is that once once Dan Snyder has the team taken away from him, he's going to get like a two billion dollar reward for it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, you fucking bet. Like Don Sterling got paid out on that Clippers deal. So like, yeah, these guys like. It's amazing that the shitty people just get rewarded, man. Can you yep. imagine like going through all the shit you you're going through, and in the end, you're getting two billion dollars out of it? Like my fucking god. Will Smith smacks someone, gets an Oscar. Dan Snyder harasses a bunch of women, runs a shitty franchise, gets rewarded for it. Yeah, I'm telling you, just the, the shitty people out there just keep on getting rewarded, man. Yep. How about a how about a pop culture? You know, just a general pop culture thing that uh, that you you're delighted by. Okay, I am very delighted and taking it back to movies really quick, but not like an actual movie, like the 
kind of makings of it. And the fact that James Gunn is now a creative director at DC and almost kind of like the leader of DC films, it makes me very happy. Yep. Like he's he's a straight up comic book guy. And like when you hear him talk, like you just this guy could spout out details about Marvel stuff, DC stuff until the cows come home. And like knowing that it's in the hands of somebody who is such a fan, coupled with being a very, very talented filmmaker like James Gunn is, I just see nothing but positivity coming from DC in the future. And it looks like some of the behind the scenes fucking noise and dumb shit that was going on before hopefully won't be going on this time around. They got rid of Jeff Johns. Like, I mean, he's basically coming in and getting to do what he wants to do. And if you, you could only, there's only like maybe like a handful of people in the world that could do this job. Right. And they got one of them. So this was a great hire. There are some decisions where I'm just like, okay, so wonder woman three is dead. Like I, I enjoyed Gal Gadot as wonder woman. And like, if it, it means her third movie is not no longer happening so they can use her in a better way in some way going yeah. forward. I'm all for it. Cause like I, I trust what he's doing and he has given us the evidence between the, uh, the suicide squad and peacemaker. So we have something to go off of and all the guardians movies too. But like in terms of DC, mm-hmm. we had the suicide squad and peacemaker. So he's given us evidence that he could do really cool and interesting and fun kind of things on screen. So this great job, Warner brothers discovery on this hire, cause you knocked it out of the park on this one. Totally agree. Let the, let the, this is one of those lessons in let the nerds who are real into shit handle the creative decisions. Instead yep. of, instead of, I mean, I guess this is the eternal studio versus director kind of deal. Uh, studio versus creatives but especially with this sort of adaptation where like the 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 people that are going to vote that are going to talk the loudest about it are nerds so let other nerds handle the creative decisions let it especially let a talented like you said a very talented i've been a james gunn fan forever let a very talented nerd handle the creative decisions you guys just figure out the fucking marketing and money and everything else let him handle the fucking creative stuff they made a great decision. Way to go, fucking Warner Brothers. This might be one of the best decisions you've made in a long time. Good for you. Yep. Um, bad decisions that they've made recently? Canceling all of the shows that we watch and talk about. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Thro- throwing a uh, Batgirl movie uh, away, you know, they got made that decision. So, yeah, there's um, definitely some things that Warner Brothers, like you, you could tell that there's something going on there while we have lost some shows that's like raised by wolves that like should definitely be back and was by far and away my favorite show on television. We've lost that. Hopefully we've gained some stability and um, great leadership in the company moving forward. So yeah. like ho- hopefully they got their head screwed on. Right. Let's time. hope. Let's hope. Um, James Gunn forever. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Chema, I, I have to talk about a guy that we talk about that we love making fun of and thank God it's finally come Primals, the Liver King's downfall. I knew it. I knew you were going to do this one. Had I to. Saw this. Yep. Oh, yeah. Had to. Um, so if just a quick summary for those unaware, Liver King is a, a fitness influencer who recently shot to stardom um, in the past year with this persona of like sort of a this sort of modern caveman persona. Um, apparently doesn't wear a shirt around the house. Whatever. He wears a hat, though. 
Um, but it doesn't wear a shirt because that's doesn't that's not in line with his ancestral tenants, his nine ancestral tenants that all primals will follow to a more primal lifestyle. Um, and the the biggest trick of this is that he eats raw meat, he eats you know raw livers, testicles. Um, you know he basically head to, or tail to hoof to tail eating basically is what he does, and that's like sort of his persona, like. It's it's some of the stuff he does is disgusting. Like I watched him shoot like fifty raw eggs um, in a row for like his breakfast with like uh, bone marrow, liver, and like maple syrup. It grossed me the fuck out. But yeah, but Reese. So his whole thing is that like his diet, his way of life will get you. He looks like a fucking car- inflated cartoon character. It's bizarre. He has muscles on top of muscles, and we've talked about him before. Like it's it is in- almost impossible. To maintain that kind of physique continuously unless you're on steroids. And right. he routinely on interviews in on his own Instagram, on um <clears throat> in you know, podcasts, YouTube, print interviews, repeatedly denies that he's ever been on steroids. And um it, it, and so recently we've or I should say recently, it was like last week, uh this YouTuber and fitness other fitness influencer, uh this guy that goes by more plates, more dates absolutely eviscerated the liver king with his own emails from liver king's own domain uh which detailed both the amount of steroids and different types of steroids and hormones he was on that cost twelve thousand dollars a month by the way twelve thousand dollar a month uh performance enhancing drug habit and the way that he and also these emails contain the way that he reached out to um doctors to get you know blood work and you know detailed the, the blood work in fact, there's a, there's two videos that More Plates, More Dates put up. The one that's just like the general overview of everything that happened. It's about an hour long. It's worth your time. Legitimately worth your time. But there's one where he just goes into the blood work that's 45 minutes. Just about the Liver King's blood work. It's insane. Um, so, you know, so like the, I guess the, the bottom line here is this. I don't give a shit when fitness celebs are on steroids. Most of the fitness celebrities I follow are on steroids. I don't care, but they also don't make a big deal about it. Um, one of the right. guys that I follow, Larry Wheels, has actually recently gone off steroids and is now just on like a regular, um, test, like a, a general testosterone replacement therapy in the same way that like you, Chema, you and I are go, go to like a men's clinic and get our testosterone boosted, right? Yeah. So he's doing that, but Larry Wheels was always in the open about the fact that, yes, I do steroids. Because, like, you cannot be six foot two, 270 pounds of solid muscle and deadlift 900 pounds without being on steroids. There's just no way to do it. Even, even guys like Brian Shaw, Eddie Hall, Thor, they're on something. Like, you, you cannot stay that big, that strong without being on something. It's not just raw chicken. It's not just boiled chicken and rice that these motherfuckers are eating. That doesn't bother me. What I care about is when some when some of them are lying, very straight face, saying that no, my supplements, my lifestyle is how I look this way. No, it isn't. We all know that it's not. Um, just come out and fucking say it. It's totally fine. But so it's that lying, and then his particular the Liver King. I'm not gonna call him Liver King anymore. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson's um, persona also like combined that sort of lying. With this very toxic brew of like misinformation, um, cultural appropriation. By the way, you're not some fucking Aboriginal tribesman. You're a white dude from fucking South Carolina, or the fuck you're from, or Texas. Um, so cultural appropriation, a general denial of science. Like 
Brian Johnson isn't the worst of these influencers, but he's still a bad actor. And, like, I'm so fucking glad that this guy was outed. But, nonetheless, he's still going to make a shit ton of money off of this fucking legions of people that still defend him. There's, there are people, his apology is weak as fuck. And there are people like, man, I'm glad he went and, and owned it. I'm like, he didn't own it. In the first 20 seconds, he talks about how rich he is. That's not how apologies start. Right. Like, that's not how they start. This dude does not care. And he's still going to grift these people that fucking follow him around. Good riddance to the fucking Liver King. I'm glad that Brian Johnson's been outed. Dude, I'm very happy to see this guy's fall as well. I have been annoyed by this guy ever since you brought him into our discussion. And I'm fucking glad. Like, there's just this video of him, like, uh, in England or something. Like, he's like, oh, the Liver King's in England. Or Brian Johnson is in England. Like, and he looks like he's taunting the guards. Now he's at the, the Raiders stadium. Yeah. I, I'm just like, I'm just kind of over this dude entirely. And, and you make a great point here. Like, if you are on steroids, just come out and say it. Like, all these people are. And, like, it's way better to have you out in the open about it than culturally appropriating all this stuff into turning it into your own. It's just, like, that's not the way to do it. Like, that's, like, bad form here. And if he would have come out and said he was on steroids the entire time, like, I'm sure he would have been an asshole, but at least he's an honest asshole. Yeah. And there's world difference between an honest asshole and just a dumb fucking piece of shit. So, yeah. like, yeah, it's this guy handled everything absolutely horribly and it's like what did you think that this was never going to get exposed in the first place you dumb shit like my god you could have been um you could have been slowly like working or incorporating the idea of you being on steroids into your into your shtick for a while now and in the meantime when this breaks you just look like a total fucking fraud what did you think this is never going to get out you yep. idiot like come on he actually sent um he actually sent a um because more plates more dates has been in the fitness influencer sphere for like several years um, mm-hmm. Like, he's a pretty well-known um, guru. And so, like, there was actually... He actually found an email that um, that Johnson sent him, like, at the beginning of last year, kind of reaching out for advice on steroids. And, like, because apparently he's also, like, um, his original his original um, cocktail and attempt to, um, to increase his testosterone, increase muscle mass and everything else... Um, every now and then, and this is, this is true with any kind of hormone therapy treatment whatsoever... He started off saying he, there were no results, and that's actually why he originally reached out to more plates, more dates. Was like, like I think I'm a non-responder. How do I adjust to you know to maximize my you know to maximize what I'm doing? So at the beginning, he wasn't even getting the benefits of steroids. So like it, it really this wasn't like this wasn't like a guy that like accidentally stumbled into this persona. This was someone that very in a very calculated manner was trying to figure out how to how to get to where he's where he is now basically mm-hmm. and which again makes it all the worse um that it, this was a very calculated maneuver on his part to get to where he is but again some people won't care it just bugs the fuck out of me it just bugs the absolute fuck and the thing is like some of the stuff he's talking about is correct like um i can't i really should learn this guy's name because calling him more plates more dates over and over again sounds stupid as fuck but um like he's even that guy even talks about how like yeah i eat raw liver as well but like in small, I don't eat like an entire deer liver for dinner. Like small amounts of certain, like of certain raw organs are like they're they are nutrient packed. They're very good for you. But like you don't just you don't just eat that along with ten, you know, or like a dozen eggs along with you know, like start piling. Like your cholesterol is going to go through the fucking roof. Um, so like there are things there. That's the sad part. 
there are things there that like are actually worthwhile. But now, for a lot of people, that's just completely fucking wiped away. Yeah, of course, dude. Of course. And I got that video queued up, and go figure the the like the cover for the video is him with that huge disgust. It just looks so gross. My God, like. Yeah, oh, I'm I know, glad I know. this guy. I'm glad glad this guy's going down. It's like you got this dude with like an eight pack, and he's just holding this monster fucking like liver. Ill. Yeah, this is somebody who will not be missed. Nope. Um, you should check out Chuma. You personally should check out um, uh, on QAnon Anonymous's page. They have a free episode of one of their Patreon um, one of their Patreon podcasts called Man Clan, and okay. the first episode is about him. It's really good. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I do um, follow those guys. I want to make a note of that right now. Man Clan. <laughs> That's great, actually. <laughs> yeah. So there you nice. go. There you go. Um, very nice. Glad you got that. I was like, I once you said it, I'm like, I knew he's going to go to, to Brian Johnson. So now he can go back to fronting ACDC. Yep, ex- <laughs> exactly. And uh, just final word on, on, on Brian Johnson here. Subprimal. All right. Uh, how, about, how about your wild card topic here? Okay, my wild card topic. I'm going with, and I, I can't even believe that I'm even putting this into the discussion for song of the year because my God, this is just so not uh, like something I would have as the song of the year. But there is this group. I talked about them before. They're from Germany. It's boy band metal called S Electric Callboy. Yes, and yes. they released an album this year called Techno T E K K N O. There is a song on here called Fuck Boy that is easily the song of the year. And I will tell you, in 1999, this would have been the biggest single of the year, too. It has a very new metal-y type vibe to it. And I the song kicks. It's so stupid. It kicks. I fucking love this song. And, like, I cannot get over how much a fan I am of this song. It's just, like, so out of character for me. But I fucking love it. And um, it's Electric Callboy with this band called Conquer and Divide. So I'll give one quick anecdote about this Conquer and Divide group. It's um, a female lead singer whose vocals are exactly what I'm looking for in terms of like the female punk rock metal singer. It's like it's in the vein of Haley Williams, but there's a little bit more body to the voice. And she rips on this song. So I was like, okay, so clearly this singer's got an amazing voice. I should check out this band, Conquer and Divide. Conquer and Divide are horrible. Like, it is so bad. It is like, <laughs> I I know it's like weird what I'm about to say here, but like, I guess in terms of like screamo and post-hardcore, I've kind of gotten lucky that I guess I listened to what would be like the creme de la creme of the screamo and post-hardcore acts. This Conquer and Divide group actually reminded me like what a shitty screamo band can sound like. And I was just like, I mean, it was like impossible to like for me to get into. I listened to mm-hmm. the record three or four times and I was just like, man, this is awful. Like, and so it's amazing how this one song, Fuck Boy, which I'm telling you, no joke, this would have been the number one song in 1999, 2000, 2001, easily. How this um, how this song, which is like, you know, kind of like rooted in screamo could be so good. And then somebody who part 
partook in the composition and writing of the song, how their own band could be so bad. It's almost like if somebody took all the annoying parts of Evanescence and put them into one group, that's what Conquer and Divide would be. I was blown away by just how good the song is and how bad this band is. So my song of the year, no joke, everybody can put my head to the fire on this one. It is Fuckboy by Electric Callboy. Hands down, it rocks. I this so they so Conquer Divide, they're the um in a weird way, the uh what's his face? Craig um the guy who wrote Chernobyl, but also wrote oh. all of the terrible screens. I'm Craig going Mason? to be talking about that Craig Mason. I'm going to be talking about him later on. Yeah, okay. you bet. <laughs> Go figure. So, so they're, they're the Craig Mason of Screamo. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I do have some things to say about that guy as we get farther into okay. the episode. So I'm glad we could set this up as a little teaser. We'll put a pin on that. So All right, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I, Electric Callboy. I, what was... <laughs> You know, I okay. So I, I have them punched up here. I'm gonna listen to it like the next time we take a break or whatever. But like, it it fascinates me that it fascinates me that something like something like screamo and that sort of um, that sort of like post punk somehow every just every now and then I just hear it again. Like mm-hmm. very just very randomly, I hear a band that is doing that again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what year is it? Did I like? Did yeah. I hit my head? Like, is it 2002 again? Like, I don't, like, it's just very weird how this very particular, this very of its time, like you said, 1999, let's just call it 1999 through 2001, how this very particular pointed period of time in music seemingly cannot die or will not die. It just keeps coming back every now and then. It's very strange. Nope. It's not dying, dude. And I'm going to tell you another thing just for everybody out there. There is this band out there called Turnstile. Um, they've had three albums out. Uh, they're featured right now in a Taco Bell commercial for the Nacho Fries. Their song Holiday is like that's like in the commercial and thus on the radio. Turnstile would be a fucking I mean, they're getting bigger now. But this band would have been huge in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like Turnstile is like this band that like. I am just like, I listen to it now, which because our first album came out in 2016. I am just like, my God, where was this band in high school? Like, this is like making high school Adam feel all kinds of happiness. So this, the genre is not dying. And like, I hate to say this, but like there are bricks that are being put into place where this sound may start to make a comeback here in the, in the course of the next five, 10 years. We're, we're going to start to get to the point where the early 2000s is 30 years away. And that's that's pretty much in line with those cultural cycles, as we pointed out before. So, yep. yeah, oh, yeah, you're probably right. We're getting there, dude. I'm telling you, it's going to be very interesting. So, yeah, check out Fuckboy by Electric Callboy. Like it, like it. Um, so this is more of a this is more of a theory than anything specific here. And my theory is that young adults, mostly under thirty, but you could even like put this like to people under twenty five is that young adults today have likely seen very few real movies, quote unquote. And this is a, this is a get off my lawn observation. 100%. There's your warning for that. But there was a trend over this summer on social media called gentle minions. Are you aware of it? Um, I am not. Okay. I'll, I'll get it real. Here's the real quick explanation for it. So gentle minions, uh, TikTok uh, slash social media trend, 
wherein people would, mostly groups of young men, would dress up in suits and see Minion's Rise of Gru in mass. Um, and some theaters... Oh, yeah, I know what this is. Okay. Yeah, you, you bet. Mm-hmm. Some theaters were trashed, and this actually led to the banning of Gentle Minions groups in England. Um, so there was there's a, a fairly prominent YouTuber that was involved in one of these Gentle Minions groups. I don't know the name because I don't know who any of these YouTubers are outside of the Paul brothers. Um, so don't don't you know don't bother asking me who it was. I, I don't know. Um, sure. But it's probably someone who's worth a hundred million dollars that I've never heard of. Anyway, um, so one of these YouTubers that was involved with the with the gentle with like buying out like a whole basically like an entire like AMC um, for like a giant gentle minions group um, was talking about how they were. They're they're into this movement, obviously, because it's just like attention on social media. But how the original movies, you know, the original Despicable Me and the the subsequent Minion spinoff, how they were very important to them because they were nostalgic, um, and that fucking blows my mind that anyone could be nostalgic for have any ounce of nostalgia for what is essentially an algorithm writing a movie, and <laughs> if you don't, if like. If you don't, I mean, obviously, every movie, especially like kids' movies, um, those things are for, have been forever sort of workshopped to death to kind of figure out like, what's gonna, you know, what are the kids into? What's what's the cute toy? Oh yeah, so, stuff like that. That's fine, but like Despicable Me, and then the subsequent sequels and the spinoffs and everything else, we're we are very much in the period of 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 a computer and social impressions. And um, <clears throat> and focus groups writing that movie and writing all that. There's a reason why the minions look like they look like they do, and why they are fucking everywhere in social media. There's a reason. It's not a mistake. That was planned. And the fact that these people who are again probably mostly under definitely under thirty, but probably even mostly younger than that, the fact that they have nostalgia for something like this kind of sickens me. And it, but it, it does. It fits right. Like, this actually kind of makes sense because these people have grown up in an age, they grew up with, let's say, just say Despicable Me, and then what was their next step as, like, a teen? Like, their, what do you think their next step was as a teen, like, into, into blockbuster movies? It would have been, like, Marvel stuff, right? Yep, Marvel movies, which are yeah. very algorithmically driven and are definitely formulaic. And this would have been what they saw in their teen years. So we're talking about... Of 15 years or so of blockbusters that are extraordinarily engineered, right? Mm-hmm. And even this even extends out to like non blockbusters. And it kind of, I think you could really even take this all the way back to Shrek and like the subsequent Shrek spinoffs um, yeah. that are still won't die. Apparently, there's one coming out or has come out recently um, that, again, blows my mind. So we're talking about close to 20 years of people who have, again, never had the pleasure of something like. Their their first movie experience wasn't E.T. Their first kid movie experience wasn't The NeverEnding Story or something like uh, Lilo and Stitch or The Iron Giant. They didn't mm-hmm. have the pleasure of Home Alone. They didn't have the pleasure of Hook, which is a very odd movie, but still something that I remember so it's well from my childhood. Amazing. Because it's, it's fucking fucks, that's why. Because it's so... Talk about it just like a movie that threw everything at the wall. Hook. And then when you get to your teen years, stuff like Clueless... Stuff like Back to the Future, Mallrats, American Pie, Election. None of those movies would be made today because they they would definitely run against an algorithm that would tell you these things would be successful. So there's a whole generation of kids out there that have never seen a real movie. 
Yeah, I can buy into that, dude. I can definitely buy into that. And they're, and this number is only going to continue to grow. So like as things become more and more formulaic and stuff and as kids, even when you're younger, maybe start where you're skipping the minions. And the first thing you're seeing is like some of the more like family friendly Marvel stuff. Like, yeah, dude makes all the fucking sense in the world to me. Just wait till they see Pulp Fiction. They're going to fucking die. They're, so like, you shit I, their pants. <clears throat> Yeah, like the movie ends in the middle. Holy shit. Like so like this is a really fucking good point here. And like it is definitely a statement of like where Hollywood and studios are going is that like they're leaning on algorithms, focus groups, research and stuff because they're in it like for the goddamn money and stuff like that. And even some of the um you know, even some of these movies that aren't indie flicks that are still like like more serious movies, I guess, that are released by the studio, those are still following like formulaic stuff mm-hmm. too. So, uh, in terms of like, you know, an actual real like creative against the grain like kind of movie, like they they never really get exposed to that stuff, and it, it kind of goes back to that conversation we were having about. Um, like with the fly and if the movie just kind of ends like appropriately and or the end movie just kind of all of a sudden ends and to us mm-hmm. it didn't, but there are going to be kids out there that are be like, wait a minute. So the fly died and there wasn't like 15 minutes of like explaining the ending and then setting up another movie. Like they might go nuts. <laughs> right. Could like, I, I, one of the ones that like really hits me, like really hits me directly is like thinking about the iron giant. Could you imagine now Vin Diesel's the iron giant, but like this wasn't, Vin Diesel in 1999 like it wasn't the Vin Diesel that we know of now so could you imagine could you imagine Disney making a kids movie one that isn't based off of like a previous property um but then also two making the lead someone that no one's ever heard of that's not happening all the way like you're even like even if you're not seeing the person's face you're still getting a name in those projects definitely and they're nowhere in hell are going to bank the uh any type of project on somebody that can't put butts in the seats you know what i'm saying like those days are definitely over for disney 100 percent, 100 percent. it's just a it's yeah i listen there's always going to be you know film film buffs you know like us who definitely want to seek out and like believe me it how many how many shitty japanese and and thai movies that i've seen it's a ton but you have to go through those movies to find the good stuff that is hidden away that you'll never see because the only thing that you're going to find on a streaming service is their offerings or something that they know people are going to watch and that's all that's that's all that's in front of you like the stuff that you have to search for it's worth it to find yeah, exa- no, you make a really, really good fucking point there. Definitely. 